0: There's just the bridge risk. People understate the bridge risk and events like this kind of highlight what a mistake it is to understate the bridge risk. Bankless Nation, happy first week of August.
1: David, it's Friday morning. What time is it? Oh, Ryan, it's the Friday Bankless Weekly Roll-Up Time where we cover the entire week of news in crypto, which is always an ambitious endeavor, yet we persevere on Into the Frontier nonetheless. To the frontier. That's right. And uh, I got to remind you, enjoy this roll up with a cup of coffee. Yeah,
0: David, you, you said you got a, a coffee upgrade yeah. earlier this week and I forgot to ask you about it. So, uh, you know, how's coffee at the apartment in, in New York?
1: You know, coffee's coffee's a, a tough thing. I, I was making my coffee with an AeroPress, which I love. Um, that is good. But, uh, it's time really, consuming. It's a little time consuming. It's a little laborious. Uh, it's really meant for like camping or just like things when you're in a pinch. So I yeah. got, got a Chemex, which is, you know, definitely like a, st- a standard it's not nothing special uh but it's just Is like a okay. drip Chemex? yeah it's a it's a pour over yeah okay. um uh it's a it's over. more suited to like the particular ground that i have and then oh, the kettle that okay. i have um, so def- definitely got an upgrade, but still still lots of work to be done on my coffee setup, so I'm looking forward to that.
0: <laughs> I'm glad you're in better shape and I know it's a <laughs> continuous improvement. Just uh, Dave's got to remind you just don't like put all milk things your coffee yeah. <laughs> or it becomes a beverage uh, All right, we're not talking about coffee today, we're talking about crypto Aww. and a lot happened as usual. What's uh, the first thing we're going to cover today?
1: Uh, yeah, it's a bad week for, for crypto this week. Some some exploits. Uh, another bridge hack. Uh, so reset the clock on that one. Zero days since our last accident. Uh, Nomad was hacked for almost $200 million on a smart contract exploit. Uh, so we'll go into how that happened because it's very unique, actually. The, the a hack, first of its kind of a hack. Uh, and so we'll, we'll talk about that and kind of what it means for the whole like, multi-layer one thesis. Speaking of hacks... Mm-hmm. All right, uh, almost
0: 10,000 Solana wallets were just randomly drained this week as well. Right. Also, and people also, are also a to unique hack. Out. That's not supposed to happen. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the week was spent with people trying to figure out how in the world this happened. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about that and the, uh, the conclusion of what happened with this wallet hack. Pretty alarming. What's the other thing we're going
1: to cover? And lastly, there's just been a bunch of hubbub, a bunch of drama about the ETH POW chain, the ETH proof of work chain that is probably going to come out of uh, the fork. When, once we merge, we're going to leave a proof of work chain behind. And so some people are uh, descending upon that proof of work chain as a shelling point. Are you, listener, about to get some free ETH POW? Pow ETH. Uh, Please. Yes. Yeah. Well, uh, personally, (laughs) I wouldn't get your hopes up. We'll talk about that. I don't know. I'm a little more
0: bullish on it. So we'll definitely talk about that. And of course, if you like the weekly roll up, you like bankless content, make sure you like, subscribe, rate, and review. If you are listening to this on a podcast channel on Spotify, especially, you can now get this in video format. It's always better in video, seeing faces mm-hmm. along with the words. David, before we get into it, got to relay a quick message from our friends and sponsors at Forda. Uh, did you know in 2021, that was just last year, speaking of hacks, we were talking about hacks in the intro, there's $2.3 billion in crypto Web3 related hacks, and Forda, has something to help with this.
1: What is Forta doing, David? Uh, Forta is a live smart contract monitoring service. And so what they do is they monitor the mempool. uh, And so, you know, there's plenty of things that you need to do as a smart contract dev, like, you know, go through audits, do formal verification. But there's still plenty of stuff you can also do while your smart contracts are live, you know, in in the wild, live in production. Uh, And there are types of transactions that can be detected that are incoming that are known to be like malicious like they drain treasuries they hack bridges you know they mess with your governance or whatever uh and so forda there, there's that like video game that uh way back when uh, in the 90s like this meteor game where the meteors were coming in and they would you gotta shoot, shoot, like, them. And you gotta shoot them before they That's hit like, the earth right yeah. uh, and so like they would zap the incoming meteors this is what forda does for incoming malicious transactions and so you can identify a set of transactions that if they do this then you know they're malicious and forda will zap them before they get into your into your smart contract, uh, and so there's over 36 billion in TVL monitored by Forda's decentralized network, uh, including uh, protocols and applications like DYDX, Compound, Balancer, Maker, Lido, Yuma. Uh, not not Nomad, not Nomad. <laughs> um, uh, so may, maybe they could use use FORTA. Yeah, uh, there's a link yeah, well, in the show notes if you are I- interested in learning more about getting a smart contract uh, exploit zapper on your on your squad.
0: One, one thing I know is you don't want to find out that your smart contract has been hacked on Twitter. Yeah. You want to receive some alert <laughs> and have a defense system set up. So Forta Monitoring is is there for that.
1: And of course, Forta, thank you for sponsoring this message. Ryan, shall we get into markets? Yeah, let's do it. What's Bitcoin showing us this week? I'm going to show some charts. Yeah, got, got some new charts on the screen. Bitcoin, we are down a whopping... 0.9%, which I would consider flat. I would consider that flat on the week. Uh, started the uh, start of the week at $23,100, ending the week at $22,900. Flat on the week,
0: flat on the week. Just flat on the week. Okay. Yeah. Neither up nor down, just tepid, just
1: flat. How about ETH? <laughs> Same thing? Yeah. Started the week at 1640, ending the week at 1620, down 1.5%. Again, I would just consider that flat. That is a flat week.
0: All right, David. How about the ETH Bitcoin ratio? What's that looking like on
1: the week? Yeah, super flat on the week. Down okay. half of a percent at point zero seven zero seven. So nothing,
0: nothing. The market's still deciding: Bitcoin yeah.
1: or ETH. Yeah. I don't so know. Bitcoin, Bitcoin ETH blue chips are flat. Tokens, Ryan bigly we'll talk about that later in the show but tokens wait, wait—tokens wait. Tokens like defi tokens defi tokens yeah they're on the move yeah they're on the move uh right. well we will cover that in is what it, i am bullish on at the very end of the is it time podcast. to bring our dpi chart back <laughs> oh god i'm not toast i'm not ready for that
0: <laughs> <laughs> not not just specific that
1: tokens please
0: <laughs> how about uh global cryptocurrency market cap are we at a trillion yet we're yeah, no, trillion, yeah right? we've been at
1: a trillion for a while we yeah. a, a ended last week at 1.14 trillion we are at 1.11 trillion um so down 30 billion dollars again less if it's less than one tera of downwards that's flat, that's flat. less than one tera wow <laughs>
0: yeah <laughs> too soon dude um gas markets <laughs> so gas markets gas markets in real life kind of suck price mm-hmm. at the pump but mm-hmm. price at the ethereum pump Still kind of good. Is Super this cheap. nine Gwei this week? Did it hit? Yeah, as low as Guay? nine Gwei.
1: Yeah, you can you can scroll down to get to get that chart a little bit. Yeah, so last week it was keep going down. God, every single time you miss this. There we go. Okay, green Where green chart green chart and green, top oh. right. Yeah, so the 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 average. Well, we'll start here. The the average total transaction gas distribution. The peak was at nine Gwei this week, down one Gwei from last week. Seven Ryan is the number we got to beat to be deflationary in the merge, and we are at nine. <laughs>
0: That's too close for comfort. Yeah. All right, I that would be so disappointing. But let's take a look at Bitcoin and ETH from all-time high uh, perspective. Bitcoin down 65% from all-time high this week. ETH down 64%. And the difference between ETH and Bitcoin from their respective bottoms is ETH is up 76% from its bottom. And Bitcoin is only up 26%. So uh, ETH took a harder crash, harder dip than Bitcoin, but it has recovered mm-hmm. much faster. Yeah. And now it's kind of neck and neck on the the percent down from all time high. What do you make of this?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is definitely the merge trade. Like, I, I, it's very infrequently that I feel like we can confidently say what is make, mo- making the market do the things that it's doing. But right now I have some of the most confidence I've ever had that this is the merge trade. This is what this is, this is yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Merge, merge is bullish.
0: Um, Let's look at the other uh, percentage tokens down from all-time high. So besides Bitcoin and ETH, how about um, Binance Chain? What's that looking like?
1: Yeah, Binance Chain, BNB always does very, very well. And, and honestly, one of the reasons is because it's one of the few tokens that actually has cash flows embedded in it. Like, it's kind of got this like manual EIP 1559 buyback and burn, because uh, that's what Binance does with, it, with this revenue is it buys BNB and burn so it. It's a massive
0: exchange, which yeah. is a cash cow in bull yeah. markets and bear markets. It's still a cash cow and it's still sort of backing the, the yeah. Binance Chain. Always has. I'm sorry, yeah, BNB so chain.
1: BNB chain, yeah. So it's, it's down 56% compared to Bitcoin and Ether's down 66%. So definitely better than those two. XRP down 88%. Cardano down 83%. Solana down 85%. Polkadot down 85%. Dogecoin down 91%. Uh, Polygon down 69%. Nice. Avalanche down 84%. Uniswap only down 28%. Wow, Uni only down 28%. That's pretty good. That's pretty you good.
0: Know, I got to admit, David, I look at this chart and I see a little bit like nature's healing yeah a little bit. I mean this makes more sense to me mm. than the bull market doesn't um, make complete sense to me but like it's still <laughs> more reasonable than things in the bull market um, let's talk a little bit more about uh, the bullish ETH narrative it's kind of going mainstream you know Joe Weisenthal right from Bloomberg mm-hmm. big time yeah yeah. yeah. he uh, has a podcast I listen to occasionally he also has a, a newsletter and in his newsletter this week Joe Weisenthal, who's never really been an ETH bull at any point in time, Mm-mm. any of my reading of, of, of his, he just wrote why ETH is taking over the narrative and why Bitcoin's narrative is busted. And um, yeah, I, I think this is starting to escape into mainstream yeah. is probably the, the takeaway here that ETH like surpassing Bitcoin on the narrative front is a, is a, is a real thing that's happening right now.
1: Yeah, and there's two reasons for this. I think if you're inside of the crypto industry, you are bullish ETH. If if you are bullish ETH over Bitcoin, then it's because of... Ether being deflationary post-merge. But if you're outside of the crypto industry, you think that Ethereum is going to be in a better place than Bitcoin because of the ESG, like green energy narrative. Um, so like it's kind of pick pick your reason, but we got two of them as to why people uh, are trending in favor of, of ETH lately. Ryan, really quickly, I just talked about how Uniswap was only down like 28%, 29%. That didn't feel right. It's actually down 70. It's, not, it's down 80%. I just checked on it. Yeah, on trading view. Yeah, it's so actually down it's, 80%. Uh, the Masari chart. I don't, chart. Is I don't know here? where where that came
0: from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Thanks for that correction. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But but to your point, and the two reasons to be bullish, when you're inside of the space, you're kind of bullish because of the um the the structural cell pressure right. that just decreases. In, in my, my mind, the
1: correct reason for being bullish. I think so.
0: Yeah. I mean, like the narrative. We, I mean, the narrative side. We knew proof of stake. We knew proof-of-work was going away, and Ethereum was becoming ESGs like for, kind of right. forever. Right. But I think this is less well-known, but this has a greater, more, more immediate impact. What right. is the chart that we're looking at on the change in theoretical annual structural sell pressure with the massive issuance reduction? All of the proof-of-work issuance its like 4.1%, something like this. It goes away completely the mm-hmm. day of the merge. What are we looking at in this chart?
1: Yeah, so we are looking at a bar chart that's titled Reduction in Theoretical Annual Structural Cell Pressure. And what, what that means is that some chains, uh, some some bigger chains, have gone through changes in monetary policy throughout their history. Uh, ether, ether used to be issued five ether per block at Genesis. That got reduced down to three in 2017. That, and then it got reduced down to two in 2019, to where it is now. Um, other, other blockchains have also done similar things, like the Bitcoin halving famously. There was a 2016 Bitcoin happening, a 2020 Bitcoin happening. and the sizes of these bars are a function of how much sell pressure is getting reduced. So when Bitcoin goes through a halving you take how much Bitcoin would have been issued in a year, multiply that by the USD price, uh, and then and then take away like how much how much is not being issued as a result of the halvening. Uh, and so uh, the the 2020 Bitcoin happening reduced three billion dollars in theoretical. Annual sell pressure that got reduced from the halving, uh, the ether uh, reduction from three ETH to two ETH, in the proof of mining, uh, proof of work mining reward in 2019 re- removed 500 million in yearly annual sell pressure. But reminder, that's when ether was like one, one or two hundred dollars, and so if you multiply that by ten or twenty to where get where we are now, that's that would that would control for that. On the very far left, we have two upcoming changes. We have the Bitcoin uh, halving in 2024. Which, if you again multiply the n- amount of Bitcoin being issued versus its current price, where it is now at twenty-three thousand dollars, you Bitcoin will receive a almost a four billion dollar reduction in annual sell pressure. This is why Bitcoiners like love love the happening, right? we reduce reduced sell pressure. This is why the happening celebrated like scarcity coming in, and it's uh, scheduled every it's four scheduled. years. You it's know it's coming, right? And and then in the ETH merge, the ETH merge, uh, which is upcoming very, very quickly, uh, is going to be a theoretical reduction in seven point five billion dollars of annual sell pressure. And so almost double the annual reduction in annual sell pressure from uh, ETH to to Bitcoin, which is also saying something when it's when it's double a reduction in U.S. dollar sell pressure. But the difference in market cap between Bitcoin and Ethereum is about two point five X. So the Bitcoin uh, market cap is. Is 440 billion the ethereum market cap is 195 billion call it call it 200 Uh, and so the bitcoin uh, market cap is 2.5 times larger than ethereum's but the ethereum us dollar sell pressure reduction is twice as big as bitcoins and so this is why like this this is so incredibly bullish it's such an outsized reduction in sell pressure versus the much smaller ethereum market cap
0: yeah, another way to say this, too, is po- in a post-merge world, um, Ethereum's going to have to find, in order to stay flat, in order for prices not to explode upwards, Ethereum's going to have to find $7.5 billion in new sellers. Right. And if it doesn't won't, find those new sellers... Won't be finding sellers, it here, Ryan. <laughs> if it doesn't find those new <laughs> sellers, it has no choice but to go to, up. It has no choice but to go That's up. That's why the, the economics of the merge... <laughs> Are so interesting and so attractive, and I think why the market is is starting maybe to price this in, though I don't mm-hmm. think they fully priced it in. Um, you know, of course, we'll see what happens. Like checkmate sellers, <laughs> I just don't. Why would you sell? There's like there's two times you could you can uh, you know. Buy or sell ETH, right? One is before the merge, and, and the other is after, right? Mm-hmm. I'm definitely a buyer before the merge. I yeah. think it's a historic opportunity. Yeah. Anyway, not financial advice, okay. But the second reason, the the reason maybe mainstream thinks this is interesting as well, is the whole ESG narrative. So this is the energy reduction narrative when uh, Ethereum transitions to proof of stake and gets rid of all of the energy inefficient mining that happens. What tweet are we looking at here, David?
1: Yeah, so we're looking. Looking at just a chart of Google searches for ESG over time. And it's like a hockey, it's just, uh, on the beginnings of a hockey stage, uh, hockey stick, it looks like. the uh, popularity of Google searches for ESG over time, I don't really know what this x axis is, maybe it's arbitrary, um, but we are roughly three times higher than we were in 2020, if that is any sort of an indication. So we're extrapolating here and saying just like, ESG as a concept, uh, which is just like in, in sustainable investing, both in uh, in ecological standpoint, but also a, a, like a political and governance standpoint, uh, and so um, implying that ESG is in vogue, uh, and so a reduction in energy usage by a leading blockchain will be very a very popular move with people uh, because because ESG is in vogue. Now, personally, I don't really. Enjoy the ESG. I think it's just adding a political element to investing, um, but that is just a political take, I guess. Like, I think I think there's better ways to uh, optimize for investments, but it's what the pop is what the people want, and the people want things that are green, and that's what Ethereum's doing when it goes to the merge. You
0: definitely have to track it as a narrative, and the yeah. bottom line here, as the tweet said, is Bitcoin has decided to ignore the ESG issue nice. entirely, whereas Ethereum is unlatching itself from proof of work. And that's the narrative going forward. And I think people are, uh, are buying into that narrative as well. Mm-hmm. David, people are also buying into ENS. Uh, we just got the July 2022 stats. And ENS is an NFT that just is doing very well Mm -hmm. in this bear market. What are we looking at for the high-level stats here?
1: Yeah, let's go through some of the numbers. 378,000 new .eth registrations, bringing the new total to 1.86 million ENS names that have been minted. Uh, That's $6.8 million in protocol revenue going to the DAO. That's 5,400 ETH in revenue uh, with 48,000 new ETH accounts, new Ethereum addresses that have at least one ENS name in it. Uh, and greater, and I never have understood this last metric: greater than ninety-nine percent of OpenSea domain volume. Does that mean ENS is is dominating dominating OpenSea volume by ninety-nine percent? No, domains.
0: There are other domains besides .eths and ENS. There are .cryptos. There are all sorts of other uh, Okay. Names, oh, like, so
1: it's market share. Like ENS yeah, it's owns just market that. Well, that, share. that makes sense. I mean, Yeah. Like market, the domain space is like a monopoly game, so that makes sense. ENS definitely has won that won that game.
0: It's kind of feeling like it's the .com, right? At yes. least. Yes. Uh, yeah, this is, uh, this is really interesting. And all of that protocol revenue goes to the DAO. Yeah. 6.8 million protocol revenue. That was 6.8 million for the month. Just you one dollar. For the, the month?
1: month. For the month. Yeah. What? Yeah. That's right. a cash cow. Right. And like, I, I can't imagine the DAO has all that many expenses. Okay. What is the, <laughs> what is the um, token going, price of,
0: to, of ENS? Uh, that is a good question. How's that doing? Remember the Ea- ENS token? You got some airdrop. A lot of yeah, which drops. I couldn't
1: claim because my Argent wallet lost my private keys. My Argent it's still wallet. Pretty,
0: it's it's, it's uh, off the bottoms
1: here. Yeah, it's off it's the bottoms cl- for sure. It's still climbing. Yeah, um, yeah. bottom around I, I, nine. I, the ENS is like is a good buy. It's a good buy. It's double from the bottom. Yeah, but I mean, if you put if you go to CryptoFees.info, Fees uh, for just talking about the DApps, uh, Uniswap, one point five million dollars in revenue in one day. Aave, uh, $0.6 million of revenue in one day. GMX, one day. which is uh, 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 an app that's spitting out ETH to uh, its token holders, $0.2 Sushi Swap, $1.16 million. ENS coming in in one, two, three, four, coming in fifth at $1.15 million per day, $150,000 per day in revenue. Uh, still three times more than Solana.
0: <laughs> I don't
1: yeah, know but, what to say about that. It's not a fair comparison because Solana is like explicitly like, we won't collect any fees. We will not have economic sustainability. And that's how we'll just like onboard everyone by collecting zero money.
0: Yes. But I think it's a, more of a fair comparison than people actually think. Um, yes. It should. Um, we actually people people should this,
1: think this. Yes.
0: We actually get into this conversation with, um, I was going to say Polynia. Polinia. Polenia. Poli- Polenia. Polenia. Yeah, so David and I um, did an anon interview with Polenia last mm-hmm. week. We talk a lot about previously known as uh,
1: the anon previously known as <laughs> It Turns out <laughs> we pr- we have for- not been pronouncing that name correctly at all.
0: Anyway, it's uh it's not coming out this Monday, but the mm. next Monday we talk all about alternative layer ones versus Ethereum and layer twos and where the value accrual is going to lie. And uh, anyway, the, I, don't miss that episode. Is all mm. I'm saying. We we get into this discussion around uh, fees and how it impacts valuation. Uh, David, what else we got here?
1: Speaking of ENS names, OpenSea bought OpenSea.Eth for $165,000. Uh, wow. Yeah, so uh, n- nice payday for whoever minted OpenSea.Eth. Congratulations. Oh, that's uh, basically glad.
0: 100 ETH. Well done. I'm glad we got Bankless.Eth uh, back in the day, David. Yeah. <laughs> before yeah. this yeah. could you this imagine how on? much we'd be gouged if we hadn't gotten uh, Bankless.Eth? It'd be so sad. I don't yeah. know if I'd do it. What
1: did we pay for that? We paid like $2,000 for that? Like, goodbye
0: we paid Goodbye. eth for it. So I, you have to uh, translate that into eth terms. Uh, maybe maybe uh, it's worse than that. Who knows. But eth is well, down. I don't know.
1: No, we're probably I'm, okay. I'm going to go I'm going to go what do, I'm going to go find this out right now. Ryan, we bought bankless.eth August 2nd, 2020 for wow. 5.15 eth. That's that's more that's more than $2,000. Sad. Yeah. That's that's very steep. <laughs> what is steep? that? Uh, right ETH? now, yeah, that's like uh eight thousand dollars Yeah, 5.15 yeah, you know, under ten thousand. Eight thousand two hundred and fifty. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah, still cool. over the long term. But
0: yeah, over the long run. I mean we would have paid we would have had to pay a lot more for it oh, now.
1: An egregious amount. An egregious and by the amount.
0: way, we caught this when it um somebody let it expire. So somebody had purchased it and then they let it expire. We came in and sniped it in the bid process.
1: Wait, how I've did we it if it expired, why did we pay five point one five ETH? Uh, Because there was like this,
0: there was like this bid process that they had in place with some expired domains where it started Uh very steep. And then over the next 30 days, like it descended in price. Uh, Oh, but anyone could buy it. Anyone could buy it, but like oh, we yeah. bought it right away. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah so don't, we
0: bought it kind of yeah, at the yeah, top worth, of that because worth, not taking a risk. Yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk more about the hack season that seems to be happening. It's sort of a bad week for hacks across yeah. crypto, especially if you are using the bridges to some of these other ecosystems a $200 million hack and then this Solana private key hack. Going to talk about that. And then also, David, you're going to tell us whether proof of work ETH, a fork of Ethereum, if that's a real thing or fake news. Mm. And uh, I'm still hoping for my ETH forked tokens that I could sell for more ETH. Don't hold uh, your breath. (laughs) We'll see. (laughs) Guys, we'll be right back. But before we do, we want to thank the sponsors that made this episode possible.
1: MakerDAO is the OG DeFi protocol, the first DeFi protocol to ever exist, even before we called it DeFi. MakerDAO produces DAI, the industry's most battle-tested and resilient stablecoin. Using Maker, you don't need to sell your collateral if you need liquidity. Instead, you can spin up a Maker Vault and use your collateral to mint DAI directly. With Maker, the power to mint new money is in your hands. And there's something new in the MakerDAO ecosystem. Every time a new Maker Vault is opened, the owner can claim a POAP, which contributes funds to One Tree Planted, an organization with ongoing global reforestation efforts, creating a world where digital participation and the health of our environment can live side by side. Soon, Maker will be present on all chains and layer twos, bringing the biggest and best DeFi credit facility to everywhere there is DeFi. Today, you can mint DAI on Oasis.app, DeFi Saver, or other DeFi protocols that you use. So follow Maker on Twitter, at MakerDAO, and learn from the oldest and most resilient DAO in existence, RocketPool is your friendly, decentralized Ethereum staking protocol. You can stake your ETH with RocketPool and get our ETH in return, allowing you to stake your ETH and use it in DeFi at the same time. You can get 4% on your ETH by staking it with RocketPool, but you can get even more by running a node. RocketPool is the only staking provider that allows anyone to permissionlessly join their network of validating nodes. Running a RocketPool node is easier to set up than running a solo node, and you only need 16 ETH to get started. Why would you do this? You get an extra 15% staking commission on the pooled ETH, so your APY is boosted. So if you're bullish e-staking, you can increase your APY and get some extra tokens by adding your node to the decentralized Rocket Pool network, which currently has over a thousand independent validators. It's yield farming, but with Ethereum nodes. You can get started at rocketpool.net and also join the Rocket Pool community in their Discord. You can find me hanging out there sometimes in the chat, so I'll see you there.
0: All right, guys, we are back with another big bridge hack. This time, a bridge called Nomad was drained of nearly $200 million in an exploit. This was a code-type exploit, so a technical exploit. David, you want to tell us what happened?
1: Yeah, so uh, cross chain bridge, Nomad, it goes to a number of different ecosystems, Avalanche, Ethereum, EV... EV- EVMOS, EVMOS, uh, Cosmos
0: chain, Cosmos, with yeah, EBM, yeah,
1: right. Uh Milcomoda and Moonbeam, uh, and so there, like you said, it was a smart contract exploit as opposed to like an economic or oracle attack. Uh, we lost almost two hundred million dollars, uh, and the person that really unpacked this uh, the best is a, a Sam C Sun who put a thread together, uh, and so we'll we'll go ahead and read out the thread because it's not, it's not too long. So uh, Sam says, Nomad just got drained for over one hundred fifty million in one of the most chaotic that Web3 has ever seen. How did this happen exactly? And what was the root cause? Allow me to take you behind the scenes. Please do, Sam. Uh, and so he says, it all started when uh, a, somebody, a Twitter, a Telegram account shared another Telegram's accounts, uh, Twitter accounts tweet in an e- Ethereum security Telegram channel. Although I had no idea what was going on at the time, the sheer volume of assets leaving the bridge was clearly a bad sign. And he shows a tweet of 100 WBTC leaving the Nomad Bridge uh, like transaction after transaction, after transactions, So hundred WBTC, hundred WBTC. Uh, and somebody says, nomad bridge getting rugged. looks very, very sus. Uh, Sam says, my first thought was that there was some misconfiguration con- con- for the tokens decimals. After all, it seemed that the bridge was it sen- was running a send 0.01 WBTC, get 100 WBTC back promotion. And then he, here he's showing a tweet where somebody was sending in literally 0.01 WBTC, BTC, but hundreds of BT- WBTC were going out. <laughs> That's a bad promotion. To run. That's bad. It's a bad promotion. Anyway. Anyway. Uh, Sam says, uh, however, after some painful manual digging on the Moonbeam network, I confirmed that while the Moonbeam transaction did bridge out 0.01 BTC, somehow the Ethereum transaction bridged in WBTC. Uh, further, the transaction bridge in the WBTC didn't actually prove anything. It's simply called process, uh, like a function process directly. Suffice to say, being able to me- process a message without proving it first is extremely not good. Uh, and so what, what they mean is like by proving it is that this is a, there's a thing called a prover. Maybe this is what we're, we're talking about. But basically, like anybody can send a message to a bridge, but the message needs to be correct. Uh, and that's part of like the functionality of the bridge. Uh, at this point, there were two possibilities. Either the proof had been submitted separately in an earlier block, or there was something extremely wrong in the replica contract. However, there was no absolutely no indication that anything had been proven recently. Again, this is like terminology about like how like uh, uh, contracts need to be uh, receiving messages about that are correct. Uh, to whatever degree that the smart contract in that bridge deems something correct. It's like kind of up to how the bridge is constructed, but a correct message would be something that is like coming from one one chain to another uh, and like a proof is generated that is correct or so. Um, Sam continues and says, there's only one possibility left. There was a fatal flaw in the replica, replica contract, but how? A quick look suggests that the message submitted must belong to an acceptable route. Otherwise, the check on line 185 would fail. Fortunately, there is an easy way to sanity check this assumption. I knew that the root of the message, which had not been proven would be 0x00 because message brackets underscore message hash bracket would be uninitialized. All I had to do was check whether the contract would accept that as a root. Uh, And then the next one is, oops. That's the only thing the tweet says. It says, oops. And basically Sam just put in zero X zero, 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 zero as an address. And it comes back true, meaning that every single thing will come back true. Meaning that like the bridge is like an open vault. Everything is true. Uh, the contract returns everything true. Uh, and so, so that
0: means Sam, anyone could go, call anyone can function this. and yes. pull funds out more or less. Yeah. Of the bridge.
1: Yeah. Uh, And so Sam says, it turns out during a routine upgrade that the Nomad team initialized the trusted route to be 0x000. To be clear, using zero values as an initialization value is a common practice. Unfortunately, in this case, it had the tiny side effect of auto-proving every message. So every message, every possible message was approved. As in like, hey, can you send me 100 WPTC? Approved. Approved. Uh, and so uh, Sam says and finishes, this is why the hack was so chaotic. You didn't need to know about Solidity or Merkle trees or anything like that. All you had to do was find a transaction that worked, find and replace the other person's address with yours, and then rebroadcast it. So not every single transaction works. But you have to have a certain hash. But it's just, you need to find a transaction that starts with 0x00, and you can go find that by going to a previous bridge transaction and then copying that transaction and just replacing it with your outbound address and then sending that. Uh, and so, TLDR, a routine upgrade marked the zero hash as a valid route, which uh, had the effect of allowing messages to be spoofed on Nomad. Attackers abused this to copy and paste transactions and quickly drained the bridge in a frenzied free-for-all. So once one person realized it, everyone realized it, that there the, the gates to the vault were open there was an open vault and all the money was just like sitting there well somebody realized it and then as soon as one person realized it everyone realized it that's the analogy right so
0: this nomad bridge had code that essentially uh, vaulted off massive Mm -hmm. amounts of money hundreds of millions of dollars uh in value here so like Mm -hmm. close to 200 million dollars and then they issued a update to this vault Mm -hmm. and the doors swung wide open yeah. And they didn't even
1: realize it. And then, you know, no one people, realized it for 43 days. So this vault has been open for 43 days in a row. Wow. And it was only only a, like uh, two days, two or three days ago that somebody was like, hey, there's money there. There's, and there's money. no here. one stopping me from and, going and getting it. And so they went
0: and the, the, the first couple of people grabbed the money. Yeah. And then an entire crowd assembled yeah. to go pick up the money yeah. from the vault and like, you know, stuff it under their, their trench coats and mm-hmm. run home with it.
1: Yep. Wow. Yep. Uh, are these white hats, David? <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, so not everyone who's doing this is evil, of course. There are a number of people that just went and grabbed the money because if they didn't grab the money then somebody malicious would, would grab the money. So like if you're a, a person saying, well, that money's free, everyone's taking it, I'll be a good person and I'll take the money and I'll, I'll return before it. Before so someone else does? Before some uh, an evildoer does it. And so, like, it's kind of like a little bit like game theory. If you know that you are going to return the money, then you can safely go get the money and return it to the people later. So there's somebody who may a transaction to go get this money and knew what they were doing. They they write in the message field in their transaction saying, "I'm returning this money. FBI, please calm down. No, I didn't plan to seal it. And yes, I know this address is doxed." <laughs> That's amazing.
0: Just leaving a message for the this FBI. Just like, my
1: hands are up. My hands are up. Like, don't shoot. Don't shoot. Um, David, did you here, here, see this there, that was a super funny tweet where somebody says, "Accidentally exploited the Nomad bridge for seventeen thousand dollars. Will return the funds ASAP." <laughs>
0: Did you see this clip of, like, the monkeys?
1: Yeah, so so this is a tweet from a Haska trade saying, the Nomad hack explained, and here's just, like, a, a plastic bin of a bunch of bread, and then there's, like, a hundred <laughs> monkeys coming in. They're all grabbing the bread out of the basket. I mean, this is, uh, this is kind of... You know, of the 190
0: million dollars, uh, apparently nine million mm-hmm. has been returned. So there's nine million dollars worth of, of white hacks that are mm-hmm. actually doing the right thing and re- returning these funds. Yeah. But that's quite a gap, man. That's like yeah, 180 that's a, million a, that has a, not been returned.
1: And was that five five percent was captured by white ha- hackers? Yes.
0: So it's not, it's
1: not zero. I mean, the big question is,
0: do you remember the wormhole hack that happened? Man, it feels feels like another lifetime Mm -hmm. ago, but honestly, it wasn't that long ago. But that got a bailout from Jump Capital. The question is... Wasn't that a
1: billion dollar bailout?
0: Yes, uh, something like that. It was a lot of money. Uh, I can't remember it. I don't know if it was quite a billion, but um, I don't know if the deep pockets are coming to rescue the bridge this time. Right. What do you think?
1: Right. Well, there's also a lot less money in the ecosystem now. Um, $320 million is what it was.
0: Um, Three hundred twenty million.
1: Yeah. So, so yeah. this is I a mean, pretty big one. Plenty of people have hundreds of millions of dollars in the top of the market. Fewer people have hundreds of million dollars in this current state of the market. I mean, I think Nomad has recently been uh, been funded
0: as well by VC. So, yeah. you know, so Yeah, but not for one hundred ninety million.
1: They don't, they raised like twenty two million. Not even close. Not yeah. even close. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? That's what What's they're, like operating happen? money. They have to pay employees
0: with that. What's also interesting is uh, this was a bridge to many kind of of the like alternative layer one ecosystem. So mm-hmm. as you said, uh, avalanche, the cosmos, uh, uh, um, Milcomida? Milk Milcomida is, um, that's Cardano. It's Cardano, uh, Cardano. And what's moonbeam? You know what moonbeam is? Moonbeam. I do not know what moonbeam is. Yeah. Neither do I. Um, so I believe so what it's do you think a, this a very
1: means? powerful, uh, dragon fl- fly, a dragon type attack from Pokemon. <laughs>
0: really? Okay. Your Pokemon lore exceeds mine, my, my friend.
1: <laughs> um, all right, it's a, po- so, a polkadot platform.
0: The question <laughs> is, such it's polkadot, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so it's not Pokemon. <laughs> Nothing to do with Pokemon. Um, so the question is, are all bridge, all are all bridges susceptible to this? Yes. So yeah. you know, like banklets, we're very excited about um, layer twos, obviously. Yes, uh, Optimism Which also, has
1: had, also has have bridges.
0: Oh. Arbitrum, the zk EVMs. You've heard us talk about these before. And they also have bridges, to David's <clears> point. These yep. bridges are not susceptible to economic attack, which is one category of attack, and probably less susceptible to oracle attack. Right, we haven't yep. got delved into that in all the details. But is susceptible to, this, to similar kinds of technical attack yep. as we saw with Nomad. So mm-hmm. does that worry you? uh that like hey anytime we bridge from mainnet ethereum there's some smart contract risk here on any of these layer 2 ecosystems do you think that'll be an inhibitor to scale
1: yeah so uh, layer 2 layer 2s are bridges that have less attack surface area like you said there are, you can't do an economic attack on a layer 2 bridge uh, and you also cannot do an Oracle attack on a layer two bridge if, if that bridge has an Oracle. But you know, smart contracts are smart contracts and bridges are smart contracts. And so a layer two bridge to Optimism, ZK Sync, you know, Arbitrum, these are all have bridges that all have smart contracts that and those smart contracts can be exploited. Um, there is one major difference for optimistic rollups in that optimistic rollups have a seven day withdraw window. And so if you have a bunch of ether on Optimism or Arbitrum and then, you, and then you like exploit that bridge, it's gonna take you seven days to get back to the Ethereum layer one. But that's I guess that's only true if that uh, smart contract exploit happens on the on the layer two side, because that ether does exist on the Ethereum layer one inside the bridge contract. So if the Ethereum layer one bridge contract is exploited, I guess you could just get it out immediately. Um, so smart contract risk is always going to be smart contract risk. The, the spicy hot take that I'll have is that if you are building a layer two on Ethereum, one of the core reasons why you would choose to do a layer two on Ethereum rather than alternative layer one, is that you believe in, you uh, prioritize security utmost. Up- like if you are doing your own blockchain, your own layer one blockchain, you have to build your security from scratch and you're going to be inherently less secure than the Ethereum layer one because uh, that's what the Ethereum layer one has optimized for. So if you are a layer two, you are prioritizing security that is in your culture as a team. So if you are a team that prioritizes culture uh, security in your culture, you're likely also doing a much higher effort on securing your bridge and your bridge smart contracts than you would if you are a team that doesn't prioritize security as much. And teams that don't prioritize security don't build roll-ups, they build alternative layer ones. Is that a fair take? I feel like that's a fair take. I I, I think that's a fair take, but but
0: also at the same time, I mean, it's nice to say, right? But like, I don't know. It's kind of verify, don't trust. Sure. It's it's not great to be in the position of having to trust the expertise and the skill level and the security, um, like um, the con- security profile of of devs of a particular bridge. Um, so yeah, I would say I am moderately worried about this, and it's not something that um, we should take lightly. Like mm-hmm. the good the good news, I think, with with all of these. Um, you know, bridges in the rollup ecosystem is they're upgradable. So we haven't like turned off, we we haven't removed the upgrade button from any of them. So if something goes wrong, you know, a patch could could go in quickly. But yeah, I think there is some risk and um, we should be real about that. When people are bridging to even layer two ecosystems, Mm -hmm. uh, they have this risk. Now, I think that risk will decrease massively over time. There was a time, David, where I, I was too freaked out to put any funds inside of a multi-sig, yeah. like the Gnosis multi-sig wallet, for, for instance. Right, right. And do you remember there was a Gnosis multi-sig wallet, kind of a V1, and then they, they created a V2, and you sort of reset the clock back to zero when mm-hmm. a new upgrade is kind of issued. And now I'm not like right. the, Gnosis multi-sig uh, holds you know, tens of billions of dollars at this point. It's been around for years, has mm-hmm. a very strong Lindy. And I think the only way around kind of um, the, the bridge hack concern is y- you have to have bridges that have been in place without being touched for a long period of time, securing massive amounts of money. And this is going to take time. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I... I'm not putting all of my funds on a layer two as a result of this because mm-hmm. it's still in the early phases. Uh, do you think yeah. that's a fair take?
1: I, I definitely think that's a fair take. And just to, to, I think we should definitely take some time on this on this topic because bridges is you know always has been a, a huge theme of the last twelve months. This is a Bartek thread from Layer Two Beat. Uh, layer Two b is doing a, a fantastic job just putting in risk frameworks and helping to define the risks of bridges and Layer Twos. So Bartek puts this thread together and he says, with the recent hack of Nomad, I think it's time to reflect more broadly on bridge security. As ne- by now they have become far more. The most critical piece of blockchain infrastructure here are some things to consider externally validated bridges as in bridges that require a kind of multi-sig to process messages can obviously be drained by the key owners and the keys might be compromised but the smart contract there is very simple simple to implement audit and independently verify as in you're you're, there's a trade-off here your smart contract is more simple because you've uh, exported a bunch of risk to the multi-sig and sometimes especially in the beginning stages of a bridge i would definitely op- uh, advocate for this model let's just like c- like remove all the complexity and just trust the founders trust the multi-sig for the beginning stage this can, this
0: is similar to the polygon bridge to the previous stake uh, yes. chain Gra- granted polygon has an
1: extra layer of defense because it has ethereum side matic staking which is a very meaningful difference than like your typical sidechain or cross-layer one bridge. Um, uh, Bartek uh, continues and says, there is downside, of course. With that bridge, you need to trust the off-chain code, which is completely opaque. Who knows what's going on there? Shout out Ronin Ronin uh, bridge with the Axie network. Um, Bartek says, Nomad is way more complex, and it fell due to an obscure bug in a smart contract code, not an architectural flaw. Compared to Nomad, optimistic rollups are still more complex. Compared to optimistic roll-ups, ZK rollups are insanely complex. You do the math. It makes sense to let the bridge code ossify with time before you move bigger funds. But after the upgrade, the ossification timer is reset to zero yes. as the upgrade may introduce a critical bug as it happened with Nomad. This is, this mm. is what happened. They upgraded their bridge contract. It was and, fine previously. And, right. And so, yeah, it was, it was fine. And they're like, okay, cool. Let's, let's up the security. Let's up the uh, hands-off nature of this, this bridge. And that upgrade was the thing that introduced the risk. Whoops. Um, Vartek says, Nomad is also permissionless. Anyone could process messages and bridge. The bridge could not be stopped. No central actor to trust. Which, like, yay, we like that in a bankless world, but also ooh, scary in the early days. Um, This removed power from Nomad team, but also left them helpless, watching the bridge being drained. As noted many times before, this space critically needs a solution for design that is trustless and secure against critical bugs at the same time. Seven-day delay windows in optimistic roll-ups gives an honest actor, an honest operator, plenty of time to stop withdrawals hence it makes sense virtually impossible hence it makes it virtually impossible for an attacker to exploit the bug in a smart contract uh, uh, so the
0: operator could pause things operator could
1: pause things and i actually think that that actually does protect against ether deposits on the layer one from being revoked or like exploited from the bridge contract because that contract has a seven day window on it on the ethereum yeah totally side. That, that, so. that actually
0: yeah. makes me feel better about yes, optimistic rollups.
1: Yeah. Um, therefore, it may be. And so the, the, what he's saying here is there there's a balance here with like the seven day window. We can make things trustless and smart contract based without it being a multi-sig. But you see, but you also have like the, if, if uh, uh, it comes down to it, like an operator can step in and do something inside of that seven days. Same, Famously, same this the- is what saved Ethereum during the DAO hack.
0: Right. And same with the upgrade ability. While that is Mm -hmm. like a knock against, you know, it's more centralized for a optimistic roll up team to have upgrade ability. Mm -hmm. the, The fact that they have that sort of makes the funds more secure if you, you know, have some trust in them to be an honest actor.
1: Yeah. Uh, Last few tweets from Bartek, uh, hence it makes it virtually impossible for an attacker to exploit the bug in a smart contract because of that seven-day window. ZK rollups, if they contained a bug, might not be so lucky as there is no delay window there. Fun fact about ZK rollups, you can go in and out of ZK rollups instantaneously, but then you lose that seven-day window protection. Um, Bartek continues and says, therefore, it may be good to have a delay for big withdrawals and a cap on fast withdrawals to limit the potential damage. This is the approach that MakerDAO is taking with its teleport for canonical Multi-chain die. Um, they're making MakerDAOs making wormholes for dies across layer twos. Uh, so this is relevant there. Bartek says if the fast withdrawal infrastructure is breached, MakerDAO, not die users, will take the loss, but up to a predefined limit. It's a risk that the DAO may be willing to take. The risk is no different than issuing a bad loan. If this is one bad loan out of a thousand good loans, this is okay. You can be even more fancy and have more complex risk framework, taking advantage of architectural properties of a given layer two to which you want to bridge to. Check out this proposal if you want to dive deeper. Uh, and then last few, last couple tweets, uh, one prominent project that limits deposits is StarkNet. Openly admitting to still being alpha is one thing, but users typically ignore that. Deposit limits keep StarkNet's TVL artificially low, but this is good and responsible. We still need to look for the per- perfect bridge design and the cost of mistakes for the whole space is massive. In the meantime, users should be reasonable with how much funds they're moving out from the base layer. I just want to go back to my culture statement. Bart- Bartek, previous at MakerDAO, which uh, which is one of the DAOs that has been optimized for security since before this whole like multi-chain like, world. Like, MakerDAO has been so risk-focused in its culture. And so like that has now extended to Bartek and what they're doing at Layer 2 Beat and all their uh, risk frameworks for Layer 2s. And now all these Layer 2s are like uh, uh, also focusing on like the Layer 2 Beat risk framework coming from this very conservative Layer 2 Beat team that's optimized for security the most. I will ask you if you are a, if you consider yourself a citizen to be uh, a citizen of a different chain layer 1 chain whether it's Avalanche Solana like you know pick your chain Is there a culture of security in those chains that it resembles the culture of security that happens on Ethereum? Because this is the thing that has saved Ethereum from all of these bridges, uh, from all of these exploits that you see happening elsewhere. There's a reason why so much exploits is happening external to Ethereum. Only the paranoid survive. Only the paranoid survive. That's a great way to put it. Uh, So this culture of uh, this culture of security is why is why so fewer exploits happen inside of the Ethereum ecosystem. But also knock on wood there, David. Oh, you I would we'll I mean? gladly knock on. Note. <laughs> <laughs> we also we can also, we can also uh, compartmentalize out parts of the Ethereum app layer, like Wonderland, for example. Uh, very risk taking. There's many DeFi apps on Ethereum that are very, very not risk adverse. But that's different. It's different from being risk averse on the app layer versus risk averse on the protocol layer.
0: You definitely want to um, pri- prioritize projects that, um, or y- y- you definitely want to lean into projects that prioritize security over over mm-hmm. speed. Right, yes. in this case. And there are many shortcuts <laughs> to Kyle. make on the speed in front of things. Mr. Kyle Simani. But um, we're dealing with a lot of money. Th- this reminds me to what we always yeah you know, and bankless with which this is the frontier you could lose what you put in it's not right. for everyone the frontier has kind of moved from mainnet ethereum into the mm. layer 2 space yeah. and, and into, side into chain the space, yeah. Yeah, into the sidechain space so now in order to bridge funds to a sidechain you know what david i need to receive a bit more return on my yeah. investment cuz it's yeah. a bit more risky over there than on mainnet so these are all considerations as, as you're thinking about your journey, your bankless journey and your journey into crypto. I'm yeah. confident, though, over time, these you know kind of like technical challenges, the code will become trusted, cemented, ossified. And that's really going to save us kind of similar to a Gnosis safe. I was mm-hmm. skeptical of that in the early days. Now I'm not like mm-hmm. I'm fine putting, mu- you know, a lot into inside of Gnosis safe. Um, but I do think. This is back to kind of a a, a sad prediction that uh, we made, Bankless made, the beginning of 2022, that there will be more of these monster bridge hacks. Uh, So this is what we said. There will be some monster bridge hacks in 2022. We're starting to see them. That will make people question their multi-L1 chain thesis. And here's also what I mean. Because over time, you can get rid of and reduce the risk, the technical risk and the code risk. But you cannot reduce... The economic risk and the oracle attack risk, mm-hmm. okay. And unless you're on a layer two, unless you're you know uh, um, doing some level of a roll up strategy in the side chain strategy, where you've got like you know networks of side chains, you will always have the economic risk of bridges. You will always have the oracle attack risk of bridges, and that ain't going away. And so, this is a reason why I am much more bullish on kind of the Ethereum roadmap. Uh, pooled security vision than on kind of like there will be many chains and like there's no real settlement platform of shared security between them uh and because because there's just the bridge risk people understate the bridge risk and events like this kind of highlight what a mistake it is to understate the bridge risk Uh, anything
1: else on this story david Yeah. Just to finally tie it off, like this industry is built on top of settlement assurances, which is basically property rights. Uh, Are you uh, are you in a bankless paradigm where you own your own assets and no one can revoke those assets from you? Like that is what this industry is built on. Everything is built on strong settlement assurances. Uh, And so. It, by the same way, is the same vogue that uh, the strongest, most secure layer one will always end up winning out. The most secure and strongest bridges will also be winning out, and this is why bridges that have the least amount of risk surface area will win over the bridges that have more surface area. And those bridges are always going to be roll-up cryptographic bridges.
0: There, there's your bridge cool. there. I think (laughs) think we've covered that thoroughly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let's talk about the uh, mysterious Solana wallet hack Mm -hmm. too. That was crazy. Unrelated to Bridges, however. Unrelated to Bridges, but it was crazy this week. It's something there's like 5,000 wallets Mm -hmm. uh, upwards, like maybe closer to 10,000 wallets, basically Solana wallets. Mm -hmm. People looked inside of their wallet and they were like, oh my God, my money is no longer there. How could this happen? And I'm not talking about centralized exchange wallets. I'm talking about sort of, you have the private key to your wallet you know, Phantom or some sort of, you know, MetaMask, for instance. And then all of a sudden, the fees are, go- like, the right. the the funds are uh, withdrawn. Yep. How could yep. this even happen? Yeah, That and was that, the question. So, like,
1: a lot of Solana users, for, for those that don't use Solana, it's like they opened up their MetaMask and, like, there was no money there anymore. Yes. Like, it's all gone. It's
0: all it gone. was all gone. And yeah. so, big question of how does this happen? Uh, and how did it happen? Because there's kind of like a Sherlock Holmes, uh, yeah. you know, The entire community, Ethereum, Solana, the entire crypto community was trying to figure out how this mass wallet drain actually happened. Fortunately, not a lot of money, but um, it was like $6 million or something like this. But a lot Mm. of wallets were affected. Do you want to tell us the story here, David?
1: Yeah, so here, here's the tweet thread. I'll just explain it better than I can. Uh, it says, $6 million of Sol and USDC have been stolen from over 8,000 Solana wallets. The hacker used private keys to drain user funds in what has been one of the craziest and most mysterious hacks in recent times. It all started when a few people noticed that some unusual outflows were happening from phantom wallets on Solana. Phantom, I think, is the most popular wallet on Solana. Uh, numerous reports started to pop up across Twitter and Discord of users having fun drains from their wallets. Phantom Wallet was quick to issue a statement saying that they do not believe that this is a Phantom specific issue. Interesting. Interesting. Uh, and so, developer and auditor X Fubar uh, found uh, X Fubar found that the attacker was stealing both SOL and USD tokens from people's Slope and Phantom wallet, Slope another wallet in the Solana ecosystem. The most logical thing to do, like this, is to revoke any access to any DApps, as in, like you know, an undo all permissions. But Avalanche co-founder Emin asserted that it's likely that the attack acts acquired access to private keys. How did they do that? How did they get the hands on 8,000 different private keys? Not supposed to happen. Not supposed to happen. Uh, and And so this means that the only way to protect your assets is to move them onto a hardware wallet or onto a centralized exchange. So this was a hot wallet exploit. Solana finally responded after hours of speculation that stated that over 7,767 wallets had been affected by the exploit so far. But what was soon uh, made matters worse was that RPC nodes started pinging as offline. This indicated that the Solana network was down, causing more panic across Twitter. It was theorized that the nodes were being uh, purposely DDOSed by ad- developers in order to slow down the hackers. This backfired as it caused additional confusion. Oof! Uh, supposedly, the DDOS attack was aimed at the hacker, which sub- uh, subsequently resulted in RPC nodes failing. Oh God! What a mess. Uh, okay, keep going. Uh, the, the most concerning part of the of the is the lack of clarity surrounding the root cause of the issue. Even Solana co-founder Anatoly. Um, uh, couldn't offer ver- verdict despite, uh, despite alluding to iOS imported wallets being the key target. He and other key Solana figures surveyed their audience for data, trying to get to down to the bottom of the exploit, almost uh, attempting to conduct an uh, on-the-go post modem. This indicates to me that we are dealing with a highly complex exploit. As of now, the issue is still being uh, investigated. Solana's latest uh, update says that they continue to investigate the root cause, and it does not appear to be a bug within Solana core
0: code." We do know the root cause though now. I think this, uh, this, this this tweet, has,
1: this, right. mm-hmm.
0: this tweet thread kind of trails off at a time when we didn't know the the root cause. Do you have any information on the root cause, David?
1: So in a different tweet, uh, 0xFootbar, is apparently really good at deducing stuff like this, says, It looks like the Slope wallet sent plain text seed phrases to external integration partners. I'm sorry, What? What? They're not mysterious at all. Just like another new mistake. They just sent they Okay, so that's like if, you know, MetaMask it gives you your your seed phrase and like it lets you it makes you copy it down. That's like if MetaMask was sending that same f- seed phrase to like Infura and yeah. Infura was just like logging that uh, and so, that's absolutely crazy. Um, compromised phantom wallets came from seed phrases importing imports used in Slope. Compromised ETH wallets were also from seed phrase reuse. Uh, so I guess some some Ethereum wallets were even compromised for, for people that generated their wallet using Slope. This is not a blockchain or a random issue, randomness issue, this is a uh, terribly irresponsible service provider issue. Fubar then later issues a correction saying the slope wallet did not send seed phrases to external partners, but may have logged them in their own centralized servers. Okay, well then they're the external partner. Uh, apologies for getting a bit ahead of myself. It it, still in it, progress. Whether
0: they sent it to a third party or not, the fact that they were logging seed phrases in, in a database yeah. anywhere in plain text mm-hmm. where it
1: could be hacked, that mm-hmm. is a massive problem. That is so, that is terrible. Don't like save nothing, other people's seed phrases.
0: Nothing mysterious <laughs> here. It's just a, a really bad uh, wallet provider, yeah. um, basically. really you know, bad so, wallet provider. I mean, people were worried that you know th- there was like a blockchain the, the, issue, yeah, a randomness the, yeah, right. issue. It's mm-hmm. just, like quantum computers is like hacked people's private keys, mm-hmm. uh, something like this. It was so mysterious, and it turns out it was just average, everyday sharing private keys via plain text, and that's what screwed it over. So
1: mystery solved, I guess. David, do you have I any guess, private um, key advice for us though? Uh, like I do. I do have one. But actually, before I do that, I would like to actually just shill the Coinbase app. Uh, I. I don't have. I'm not logged in because I don't have a Coinbase account. Um, but like they have a, a multi-party computation wallet, so you can go and like use your Coinbase app as like a centralized uh, you know exchange like I, as everyone does. But you can also go and like trade specifically on Uniswap or do stuff on MakerDAO or pull together because Coinbase has a multi-party computation wallet built into their app. So not only is it like a, a centralized custodian with a you know exchange built in like like we know, but it's also a self-sovereign wallet with multi-party computation, meaning that they have a shard of your private key. Your phone also has a shard of your private key, so they can restore your private key, but they don't have your private key. That's crazy. So like it's Coinbase critical. doesn't doesn't get enough credit for that. Uh, and so Coinbase Coinbase app this is, and this is not even Coinbase wallet. This is the co- Coinbase consumer app. So like. But I, I I wanna go find out more about that wall because that is a really cool feature. Oh,
0: we talked about it on a roll-up like remember they, they came out with it at the permissionless yeah. conference? Yeah, I didn't know and I
1: didn't realize they had already rolled it out to the the main core consumer app.
0: Yeah, it's great. It's great. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's like um you know, there, there are some pieces of the design that are a bit more centralized than say a smart contract wallet, but it's yeah. like this nice place in the middle right. where it's a cool compromise. Right. And, and as Probably. you said, they're getting it out to uh, to users uh, right away. It's much better than a completely custra- cust, uh, custodied centralized wallet mm-hmm.
1: provider. But anyway, yeah, what wait, do you wait, do? Wait, What's your... wait, 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 before that though, we had a guest on who was like, uh, they were explaining, maybe it was Mark Cuban. Yeah, it was Mark Cuban. And he, was, he was talking to his friends and like, I downloaded Coinbase and like, I couldn't find like the DeFi tab. There's yeah. now literally a DeFi a tab DeFi in tab. the Coinbase. Coinbase app, nice. and you can do DeFi things, and from the user perspective, they get private keys, but they don't even know it, it's, and, and they can't lose them. It's great. It's great. Anyways, uh, so here, here's what I say. Um, I don't. This isn't the best advice, but it definitely works. It's a little bit of a brute force method. I say every six months or so, I generate a new set of private keys and I rotate my wallets. And this removes all buildup of smart contract approval risk. Uh, and so I generate my own private keys uh, using using like the my ledger. Uh, and then every six months ago, so, I just take my assets and I. Plop them into the new address. Uh, there are ways to achieve these same results. If you're worried about approval risk, you can just manually unapprove things. Um, uh, but also- approval this. Approval also- risk
0: is another thing to worry about. It's not at play in either of these two right. hacks. It's just yet another thing you have to worry yes. about.
1: <laughs> yes, if you approve a contract that sets permissions to all, like that contract can do whatever you want with all of your money. Um, but you can manually revoke those. So you like, you can get security that way. But this also removes like any sort of like accidental internet exposure to my private keys. There's been one times so I, I have like a piece of paper. <laughs> I don't have it with me, I keep it elsewhere. Careful, OPSEC uh, sir, op-sec. But I have like a piece of paper with every previous seed phrase that I've ever used ever, whether, whether I've generated it with MetaMask, whether I've generated it with Ledger. Uh, it's got all my historical private keys on it and it's somewhere in the world. I'm not gonna say where, it's not with me. It's not where I live, <laughs> but but like and I, the reason why I keep that is for like airdrops, right? Like sometimes if some airdrop happens and I'm like, fuck, I have to go like type in all of these like old seed phrases to go like, check out which one of these air addresses is relevant to the airdrop, <laughs> and I type them into MetaMask, and so what was previously a Ledger seed phrase becomes like a MetaMask seed phrase, making it a hot wallet, uh, Do and you so know, like. What? I, I ba- hang on, I'm basically like putting all of my previous Ledger seed phrases into my MetaMask, making it exposed to the internet. And so what I do is then I generate a new set of private keys and then, re- you know, in the appropriate way, not released to the internet. And then I make it find a new address and I send all my assets to that brand new address. And so it's like always like a, ro- a rotation. Of just like, you know, can't find me, can't catch me, can't catch me. I do not do any of those things, but I'm
0: not sure if your method is like better than what I do. Um,
1: <laughs> what do you do? Well, yeah,
0: I'm not going to disclose that, David. Um, <laughs> uh, but See, this, is
1: the, this is the beautiful thing about this is like I can tell like about my uh, private key yeah. management because it doesn't matter because it's always changing.
0: Yeah. So uh, I I do think we should have an episode that is just all about like best practices for mm. OPSEC and private key management, like on the bankless journey, just, you know, it's not somebody that needs to disclose what they're doing, but it's like, what are the best practices? 10 best Mm -hmm. practices, different methods, practical, real world, because like, this stuff's hard. As we call it the bankless journey for a reason, like, and bad things can happen to you, like bridge hacks, uh, like Oracle attacks, like economic attacks. You have to be careful what you use. And suddenly one day, if you use the wrong wallet, all your money gets stolen. Like, this Mm -hmm. is not easy stuff. And the the rewards are great on the other side, as we always say with, you know, kind of going bankless, but, um, so are the risks. The risks are great as well. Anyway, Mm. uh, that's your strategy. That's David's strategy. It's a a
1: nuclear of a strategy. And like, there's definitely other ways to achieve the same ends, but it's it's what I do. It's interesting. Yeah, it's definitely cool. Um,
0: all right. Are we going to get any tokens, David? Last thing. Are we (laughs) going to get any tokens from a new ETH proof of work chain? Do you think, uh, some free forked ETH
1: before the merge? No, no, you will not. Yes, I mean yes, you will have ether proof of work. No, it will be worth pennies. Uh, there's like the, a bunch of like people on Twitter talking about oh the, the proof of work chain, the proof of work chain. We're gonna fork Ethereum and get all the, like this extra tokens and extra ETH. Like no, no, you're not. Some what, what's going to happen is that some people are going to are writing already writing transactions right now that are going to be sent in that very first or second block on the Ethereum proof of work chain that sells all of their tokens for ether and Uniswap. It removes all of their ether from compound and maker. It basically there's going to be a massive run on the bank, except the bank is proof of work ether. So every single token is going to go to zero. Uh, and there's actually a, a thread that, that we should read. Uh, so let, let's go to the thread by uh, Lemonscape. Uh, and uh, this is Mark Zeller from Ave, and goes, a short thread about ETH proof of work and was quite like quite likely to happen. Overnight with a fork, a carbon copy of the full Ethereum ecosystem appears. You have 10 ETH, well, you also have 10 ETH proof of work. You have a position in Ave. now you have that same position on proof of work Ave. So let's begin with the big simple consequences. ETH proof of work means no proof of stake. So Staked ETH is now worth zero because it'll never be redeemable because it's on the staked ETH chain. On Ave proof of work, that means there's a $1 billion hole in the book because Aave accounts for the value of staked ETH, but the proof of work staked ETH goes to zero. On Maker proof of work, that's $100 million of DAI backed by zero. You that can't is absolute have, mayhem, by the way. It is absolute mayhem. Yeah, all of a sudden, all the collateral and all the lending apps goes to zero. You can't have any fiat-backed stablecoin doubling the supply, obviously, overnight, so USDC and USDT proof-of-work supply goes to zero. So also collateral and MakerDAO and elsewhere. Circle and Tether can perhaps later support ETH proof-of-work, but the only way is to issue new ERC-20 tokens and forget the old ones. That's an additional $1.7 billion hole in Aave proofs-of-work. That also means that 73% of MakerDAO collateral overnight is worth zero. Uh, So sorry to say, but this means that DAI Proof of Work and MKR Proof of Work are now also worth zero because MKR needs to get minted to cover debts in the MakerDAO system. But when your debt is billions of dollars and that that brand new MKR token on the Proof of Work chain is already worth zero, so like, you know, you, you have to inflate your token that's already worth zero by infinity, making it worth zero even more. Uh, And so, like, just massive holes in collateral because, like, none of these tokens are worth anything on the Uh, proof-of-work chain. Basically, what's happening is, like, the token ecosystem, the DeFi app
0: layer is going to be completely mayhem. The
1: the application layer of the proof-of-work chain is dividing by zero. It is imploding uh, on on block number one. Uh, And so... uh, (laughs) This also happens for, like, Uniswap, SushiSwap, all your favorite protocols. All tokens become worth zero because there's nothing there. Uh, And so if all the tokens are worth zero, what what happens? And this is where, like, the whole run-on-the-bank metaphor comes from. Uh, uh, The agenda for... uh, Yes. Conclusion, DeFi proof of work is dead on arrival. Uh, and so here, here's what Lemonsgate says. The agenda for ETH proof of work shills. AMM liquidity will still be around because there will be like Uni versus ETH pairs on the proof of work chain. But if you have any Uni tokens, you're just going to like remove them all and buy as much ETH POW as possible. You have stakes ETH tokens. And ETH, ETH POW is the new Ether. It's kind yes. of the leftover Ether. Yes. Not unofficially, this just what people are calling it. Mm-hmm. So do you have any staked ETH tokens? Because those are worth zero. So you go to curve, proof of work curve, and you dump those for ETH POW. Until AMMs are full of tokens, and empty of proof of work ether. So all tokens are being immediately sold for ether, proof of work ether, because it's the only token that has any like feasible semblance of having any value whatsoever. The plan is to collect as many ETH proof of work tokens as possible while shilling it on Twitter as like the one true ETH, yes. that's what people do. That's what our like uh, opportunists do. And then they wait for tier C centralized exchange listings, like Poloniex, yep. it there, and then try and dump it on like victims trying to buy, buy this shill. That's plan everyone knows it people have been talking about this for years we've known this is going to be a thing for years and so if you are a listener who's like oh yay i get like proof of work ether i get some extra ether are you going to be the bot that writes these transactions because this is there's going to be a war on the first and second block of the proof of work ethereum chain to do all of these things and it's all going to be over in two blocks are you the listener capable of fighting that fight and getting your transaction in first ahead of the bots because if you are not then you are not getting anything that's the end of the story
0: i still think so yes that is one get out of here what do you still think what do you still think what i still think (sighs) that uh what could happen is some narrative spinner rises up you know the craig wright Mm -hmm. of uh pow eth the roger vere The E. Pow Jesus rises up and says, "I will bring you a new narrative for this Mm -hmm. for this uh, asset class. This is the truth." And like we've we've just seen this happen so many times, David. Yeah, there've been a lot of Bitcoin forks um, previously. Most of them have completely failed, but a few of them have had some actual like multi month, multi year shelf lives, and those are the ones that are led by kind of some benevolent dictator cult figure, right. you know, sort of religious figure that's ultimately, I don't know about in Roger Vere's case, but Craig Wright's case very clearly, um, manipulating the community and trying to kind of like exit, exit scam, exit dump them. I know it's more complicated than a Bitcoin fork because Ethereum has this massive DeFi app layer, right. but as you said, that's going to sort itself out. It's going to be completely drained. It's all going to go to ETH POW. There could be a figure that rises up and says I'm going to take this narrative, I'm going to push it forward, I'm going to create a developer roadmap, I'm going to gather some funding, I'm going to get the help of uh Ethpow miners and the narrative could have a shelf life longer than a week, maybe multiple months. Again, I really don't care in either case. Like if that happens, then maybe there's some Ethpow I can later sell and that's a great thing, but I <laughs> All I would say is, I think that is also a possibility. Sure. Possibility this thing fades out in like a day or a week. It's also a possibility because we've seen it before. Some cult leader rises and uh, brings a narrative to this chain and gives it some some level of life because we've also seen that before. <laughs>
1: Is that going to be you, Ryan? You're going to be that cult leader? I. It's proof not of me, work, Ryan. I, <laughs> it's not me.
0: I mean, like, I do not have that will and uh, no interest in doing that. But um,
1: so there's a there's a video I that mention. I like that I think resembles what's going to happen in blocks one and two of uh, the proof of work chain. And here's a video of uh, a San Diego fire uh, Fourth of July where they accidentally had like a computer exploit, a computer bug, uh, and instead of having a 45 minute firework show. Every single firework just went off at once, (laughs) so we had like 45 minutes worth of fireworks all going down in like 30 seconds, and that's basically what's going to happen to this proof of work app layer. You think it's just going to be
0: short, very short show, and then it's over? Yeah. David, what's coming
1: up next? All right, coming up next, uh, Sailor stepping down as CEO of MicroStrategy to do what? To do what? Perhaps to buy more Bitcoin. Probably. And also, Tiffany's selling, CryptoPunk jewelry. I have a (laughs) CryptoPunk. Will I be getting a Tiffany's CryptoPunk necklace? Uh, Stay tuned to to find out, but I think you already know. (laughs) But if you don't, (laughs) stick around to find out. Uh, We'll be right back right after we talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Arbitrum is an Ethereum layer two scaling solution that is going to completely change how we use DeFi and NFTs. Some of the coolest new NFT collections have chosen Arbitrum as their home, while DeFi protocols continue to see increased liquidity and usage. You can now bridge straight into Arbitrum for more than 10 different exchanges, including Binance, FTX, Kuobi and Crypto.com. Once on Arbitrum, you'll enjoy fast transactions with cheap fees, allowing you to explore new frontiers of the crypto universe. New to Arbitrum, for a limited time, you can get Arbitrum NFTs designed by the famous artists Ratwell and Sugoi for joining the Arbitrum Odyssey. The Odyssey is an eight-week-long event where you complete on-chain activities and receive a free NFT as a reward. Find out more by visiting the Discord at discord.gg/arbitrum. You can also bridge your assets to Arbitrum at bridge.arbitrum.io and access all of Arbitrum's apps at portal.com. In order to experience DeFi and NFTs the way it was always meant to be fast, cheap, secure, and fiction free. The Layer 2 era is upon us. Ethereum's Layer 2 ecosystem is growing every day, and we need Layer 2 bridges to be fast and efficient in order to live a Layer 2 life. Across is the fastest, cheapest, and most secure cross-chain bridge. With Across, you don't have to worry about high fees or long wait times. Assets are bridged and available for use almost instantaneously. Across's bridges are powered by UMA's optimistic Oracle to securely transfer tokens between Layer 2s and Ethereum. Across is critical ecosystem infrastructure, and Across V2 has just launched. Their new version focuses on higher capital efficiency, layer two to layer two transfers, and a brand new chain with Polygon, all while prioritizing high security and low fees. You can be a part of Across's story by joining their discord and using Across for all of your layer two transferring needs. So go to Across.to to to quickly and securely bridge your assets between Ethereum, Optimism, Polygon, Arbitrum, or Boba networks.
0: All right, guys, we're back. And speaking of bridge compromises again, um, Aave seems to be stepping back from its multi-chain strategy. And why? Because of some of these bridge compromises that have been happening. So um Ave stepping back from Phantom, I believe, which is sort of an EVM fork uh, chain. Uh Mark Zeller, who we were just talking about, um, said Lemonscape, this. They, yeah, yeah, Lemonscape is the rationale is after the Harmony Bridge event, the recent nomad bridge exploit, the Ave community should consider the risk benefits of keeping an active Ave V3 market on Phantom, as this network is dependent on any swap multi-chain bridge. Um, Zeller, actually, uh, in the tweet thread as well, he, he said he was wrong. He said, hey, I was wrong to be so aggressive on kind of the multi-chain strategy. Uh, and uh, yeah, that was just really, really interesting, interesting. Um, to interesting. hear from him. And it's like, not wrong in a big way, but maybe right. a bit more aggressive during the bull market. Right. And right. now seeing that, um, hey, some of these risks are real. And by the way,
1: kudos to anyone who ever admits they're wrong in crypto. Certainly. Because that yeah. is a rare event in and of yeah. itself. Yeah, I mean, basically this is a, a classic cost benefit calculation. Uh, is how how much uh, fees is Aave generating on Phantom, and how much is that risk of that multi chain bridge? And Aave governance. This hasn't this isn't a formal thing. This is a governance proposal. Uh, but the proposal saying, hey, the cost of cost to, uh, rewards is just not there. So let's just trim Phantom. Um, I mean, it makes sense in a bear market where like you know some chains don't really make it. Um, so Phantom not doing so hot. All right, moving on. SushiSwap, new head chef is asking for one third of all the tokens that are paid to the staff, which is a very contentious proposal, but there's a, a DAO debate with SushiSwap about how well compensated the SushiSwap head chef should be. Um, I kind of think that SushiSwap needs some sort of like highly competent, highly centralized leader to like kind of steward this ship, especially as we're seeing like things kind of like drift off in the bear market, uh, but SushiSwap going through some governance debates right now.
0: That's like executive compensation debate in DAOs yeah. right now. That's right, kind of interesting.
1: Right. Here's a great thread out of Optimism about Optimism Bedrock, which is Optimism Bedrock coming soon, TM, and when it does, it will change the rollup game forever. It will lay the Protocols Foundation for years to come and serve as the model for roll-up architecture. Its name is Bedrock for good reason. There are a few awesome things that this bedrock architecture does for Optimism. It reduces the L1 to L2 deposit time by 4x, and it also slashes the cost of data submission by 20%, making uh, fees 20% cheaper. But... Those are all really cool things that all the users can understand, but really the really bullish thing is this third thing, cuts the difference with geth down to a slim 500 lines of code. Uh, And so uh, Kevin uh, uh, Filchner, who is um, on the Optimism team, he puts this tweet together and goes, Optimism's bedrock design is the most advanced roll-up architecture ever built. It's not a competition. Bedrock is close to theoretically optimal on every front. Optimal transaction fees, optimal diff, difference, uh, optimal networking, optimal block production. And what what they are mean by optimal is related to this 500 fee difference between Optimism, Bedrock, and Geth. They're trying to get as cl- as close to Ethereum equivalents as possible. And so when we talk about bridge risk and all of these smart contract risks, when you reduce the lines of code down to something like Geth, which has been tried and true in Ethereum for eight years and running now, then you have a stronger and insha- stronger assurances that there's less and less attack surface area. Uh, and so when I see these words like, theoretically optimal on every front I get like really hot and bothered Ryan because I love things that are theoretically optimal uh, and so the, the fewer lines between Geth and a, and a layer two the more secure you can feel about using these layer twos uh, and the other thing I'll say about this is when you have something that is closer and closer and closer to Geth the software that we've already been using Ethereum for years you can cr- like bedrock can become like a foundation for a thousand roll-ups to bloom because it's not that complicated. It's so simple. It's so close to this infrastructure that we've already had. So the forkability of get, of Bedrock to allow a thousand secure layer twos to bloom is like off the charts. So I'm just super bullish about that. Yeah, I am
0: glad that uh, optimistic rollups are innovating. And of course... Uh, uh, Arbitrum's nitro is coming up too. So it's like bedrock versus nitro and they're both kind of competing for attention. and narrative Nitro here. also,
1: also something that is trying to emulate geth as well. These are the same, same design structures.
0: Yeah. Uh, very, very, very similar design structures and patterns. And I'm just happy to see them wearing it out for users. Um, David, did you know the Ethereum chain is seven years old?
1: Happy Happy birthday. birthday? I said eight. Happy birthday to Ethereum. Yay. Yay. Hey, Here's a picture of Vitalik and his dad. (laughs) Unrelated, actually, from Ethereum's birthday. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Definitely related, father, son. Uh, Yeah, sure. Yeah. Great to see them on Ethereum's birthday moving Um, into some
1: Bitcoin stuff. Yeah. Michael Saylor leaves the CEO role role, to assume executive chairman role. So uh, Michael Saylor, no longer the CEO of MicroStrategy, has stepped down while a a different individual um, uh, stepped into the CEO of MicroStrategy, which makes sense. I
0: mean, he's become so interested in Bitcoin. He's much less interested in like, you know, MicroStrategy is a business analytics company. you know kind of software for like business dashboards and stuff like that related
1: to bitcoin yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: so he's he's very interested in bitcoin he has like uh 70 percent uh voting majority over microstrategy it's basically he governs microstrategy now has decided to step down to pursue bitcoin initiatives um so (laughs) buy more bitcoin (laughs) i guess i guess that's what he's doing there's a take from Nassim taleb here what is he saying
1: yeah, Nassim Taleb, who's a, a famously anti-Bitcoin, says, how much of the 120,000 Bitcoin will they have to sell? Another nail in the coffin to the will never sell. I actually don't think there's any precedent. Like, no, like, actually, they're leaning into bi- buying Bitcoin, not trying to sell, but it's just you funny. You mean microstrategies? Microstrategy, yeah. You don't think... Um, um,
0: like sailor was kind of like asked to, to leave or something and go focus on Bitcoin if that's what he's so interested in and I think now- that is what
1: happened. They're like sailor like th- this microstrategy company still needs to do its microstrategy things. You become like the chairman of buying Bitcoin. Bitcoin CEO. Yeah, Bitcoin CEO. Yeah, but no, Nicholas just wants a grave dance, even though there's no grave to dance on. We'll see. I don't
0: know. They they might sell more Bitcoin as a result of this, but um, hopefully not in the bear market. I still still contend. I think think MicroStrategy's Bitcoin buys are going to pay off for them. And like these kind of tweets will not hold up well because Bitcoin yes. is going to go up in price. That's still like the bottom line to me and just people yes. are impatient. And they always like to point when things are down and say, oh, it'll never work out. And then they never come back and correct themselves. Right. Uh, but Tiffany's, what are
1: they doing <laughs> in the NFT space? Uh, they are doing NFTIFs. NF Tiffany's, <laughs> oh, I guess, God, no. <laughs> uh, releasing on August 5th. Is that tomorrow? Yeah, that is tomorrow. Uh, uh, tw- 250, I believe, Tiffany's CryptoPunk NFT necklaces, jeweled necklaces, are being released at the low, low price of 30 ETH. What? 250 limited edition CryptoPunk ne- necklaces being sold for $51,000 at the price of 30 ETH. What's a CryptoPunk uh, necklace? Uh, it'll, yeah, so here, here's the video. It'll play out.
0: Wait, how much is this? What are we looking at? $51,000. So like a this bunch of This is just white... an NFT. So you can't have No, no, no. Your no, no. It's, a real Wear it. it's a real necklace. It's a real necklace.
1: It's a real oh, necklace. Oh, this is a real a necklace. Re- okay. Real diamonds, real rubies. It's, yeah. It's what's a real What's the necklace. NFT part? It's it's that, your it's so so you you can't mint any uh CryptoPunk. You can have a uh, Tiffany's necklace of your CryptoPunk for for 30 ETH. Is
0: this something that is wanted? Like what's the market for this, David?
1: Well, there's only 250 of them. And it's, and it's one of these things where like, if you are somebody who's going to buy one of these things, you're gonna confuse all the other people who are like, why the hell are you buying it? Like, <laughs> it only takes 250 people to be like, yeah, fine, I'll buy one of those. $50,000, uh, I love now, here's this Here's a take from, from Aubrey. Uh, Aubrey Strobel. Imagine your boyfriend gives you a Tiffany box and you open it up and it's a crypto pie. I'm sure that they would just love that. That would be so great for them. I'm sure they wow. would just be overjoyed.
0: There's someone out there, though, that's gonna buy one and be happy to receive one. Uh, maybe you just have to find that special someone, David. Yeah,
1: right. Yeah. All right. Keep on looking.
0: Magic Eden. Oh my God. They changed their Twitter handle to Magic Ethan. Yeah. Well, First of all, what is Magic Eden and yeah, what are they Yeah,
1: it's doing? a Solana NFT platform. It's like the uh, OpenSea of Solana. Uh, what are they doing? They are now becoming the Magic Eden of Ethereum. Uh, so they are integrating Ethereum into their NFT platform.
0: Uh, it seems like wise expansion strategy. Yep. Um, what do we got here, David? Shaq.
1: Yeah, yeah. So th- this is like, uh, of course, I'm sure triggered some of like the Solani maxis out there. I was like, oh, you guys are abandoning Solana to go into Ethereum, even though they are just trying to make the best NFT platform that exists. Uh, and Shaq replies to the suite, Shaquille O'Neal replies to the suite and says, "I wonder." And people wonder why I took .dot soul out of my name. I didn't even know Shaq had .dot soul in his name. Um, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> ryan commenting saying but you didn't add dot eth um <laughs> 1700 likes on that um Shaq, uh, wearing and what it looks like some sort of like ape as his profile well, well, picture what do you think ape. he's
0: saying this is not clear to me why did he take dot soul out of his name is it because
1: uh, you can scroll down and there will be a little bit more of a conversation uh he, he says there's no point in picking a side anymore everyone uh, needs to stop tearing each other down yeah. okay well, I take it too. <laughs> and then back. Evan Van Ness says, no one needs to tear Solana down. It's always down. <laughs> oh, jeez.
0: Man, bird oh, culture man. in uh, Crypto Twitter is great. Uh, yeah, what's Rainbow great. doing? The wallet, right. NFT wallet. Yeah,
1: speaking of more NFT stuff, now supporting NFTs on mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. Uh, for some reason saying, thank you, Treasure TreasureDAO for the gift. I wonder, oh, they got they got a little, um, some small, uh, the, the Treasure is an ecosystem, NFT ecosystem on Arbitrum. Anyways, NFTs on uh, Rainbow Wallet. That's cool.
0: Uh, optimistic NFTs, Arbitrum NFTs on Rainbow mm-hmm. Wallet. Uh, and what do we got here? Aspect uh, Starknet yeah. mainnet. Is this NFTs for Starknet?
1: Yeah, NFTs on Starknet, the uh, the uh, generalized uh, zk rollup platform out of Starkware. Uh, so cool. That that means super cheap NFTs. Super cheap, super fast.
0: Uh, Regulation. Let's talk about this really quick. So Robin Hood was just fined $30 million from the New York State Department of Financial Services, NYDFS. Mm. And why were they charged for this? It looks like some sort of uh, money laundering um, issue. Mm -hmm. Uh, What did they do?
1: Yeah, they said uh, the NF- NYDFS charged Robinhood because they were in- inadequately staffed, didn't have sufficient resources to address risks, risks, and failed uh, timely transaction from a manual transaction monitoring system to one that was adequate for its user size and transaction volume. Basically not adequately monitoring like AML and money laundering um, shenanigans. I have Oof. no takes on this. Kind of, I have no I, takes on that.
0: You know, New York State Department's always a bit... Um, You know, crypto unfriendly, I would say, so I wouldn't be surprised if they're blowing a big, small thing out of proportion, but also I do not know. Uh, But this is cool, David. A Senate bill that would hand Bitcoin and Ether oversight to the commodities regulator, the CFTC, basically Mm -hmm. institute by law and say that Ether and Bitcoin are commodities. It's kind of a reigning Gary Gensler in the SEC back. I know- There's been like the SEC has never given us a super straight take on whether ether is a commodity or a security or how they view it. They've been right. a bit more um, clear on Bitcoin as as being a commodity, but we sort of need mm. this legislation, it's a bit of reining in from the SEC to at least say these two assets we
1: know clearly are commodities. Right, and this f- follows from I think Hester Peirce and a few others takes of of saying like good crypto regulation is ultimately going to come from Congress, not these three letter agencies that we do not elect. Uh, yes. And so, if Congress could go ahead and please approve of this one, that would be great. Gary Gensler, niner neither boo boo, get your hands off our commodities. <laughs> and yet, uh, I gotta give credit where it's due.
0: The SEC yeah. this this week charged uh, charged a um, group called F- uh, Forsage. 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 I don't know. Forsage. Um, this was a three hundred billion dollar crypto Ponzi scheme, and mm. I vaguely remember this. It was just blatantly a Ponzi, so kind of BitConnect level stuff. And this is the sort of thing that we want the SEC to do. It's like, mm. there's so many bad guys and clear scams in the crypto space. Please help us go catch them, right? right. Like right. go after them, give us clarity, give the, the good actors in the space a sandbox, a playground and go chase after the clear scammers because there's enough of that work to go do. And this is an example of them mm. doing that, doing the right thing, going after a clear Ponzi scheme. Well done. Well done. Thank you, well done. Gary. Uh,
1: You did something great. David, can you believe this is
0: still happening? So like add insult
1: to injury. What's happening Mm -hmm. here? Celsius admits customer emails linked in third-party data breach. So not only... Did you lose your money, but you also lost your privacy with Celsius. (laughs) Two for one punch, oof. Thanks guys. Uh, Babel financed $280 million loss. Babel finances a CFI crypto lender. We've seen them before. Uh, Lost uh, $280 million in customer funds doing trading. they were trying to trade their way into profit, but they traded their way into losses. With Um, their customers' funds. With with their customers' funds. Another
0: CFI company, uh, more popular in Asia. David, uh, some good news on the releases front. Coinbase Prime is now offering Ethereum staking to institutions in the U.S. Mm. More staking uh, heating up. Um, what is the Swell Network here, David?
1: Yeah, Swell Network is also part of the Ethereum staking world. Uh, Lido, Rocket Pool, Stakewise, a few others, but also Swell Network soon. This is a kind of a hotly anticipated uh, staking as a service, uh, uh, like DAO. Uh, kind of like, kind of like Lido, but also a little bit like Rocket Pool. Uh, mainnet release uh, candidate uh, is now live, uh, which means that they are only one step away from mainnet go live. Uh, so I'm very excited for Swell. Also, we we know that GameStop has been working with Immutable, but now that relationship is formally intertwined with the GameStop wallet. Uh, and so the GameStop NFT ecosystem and the Immutable Layer 2 system are now integrated. Uh, and so you can only imagine that like the uh, Immutable X. Layer two is going to be facilitating the marketplace for GameStop. I'm getting a little bit closer to that
0: here. Uh, I think the wallet has been based on Loopring, so it looks like they're using multiple yeah. layer yes. twos as their yes. strategy, not just Loopring, but also both zk rollups, though. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, J- David, on the on the raises front, uh, variant fund. This is a fund um, from Jesse. Um, who else is on the Jesse fund?
1: Walden, Legion. Yeah. Yes,
0: Legion, of course. Four hundred fifty million dollars to support the leading founders in Web three. This is kind of the uh, the. The, the creator economy type of investment, and they just raised four hundred fifty million dollars. So uh, impressive Congrats. raise. Yeah. Um, Gary V from V Friends just closed a round with A sixteen Z Crypto. So this is a fifty million dollar round. That's a I lot. Believe. That's a lot of money. That's a lot for Gary V's NFT project. Um, yeah. yeah. Kind of impressive valuations happening during the mm-hmm. bear market still too. So yeah, I great. guess there's money. There's raises. It's what does that money. mean for jobs, David?
1: That there are jobs. If there's money and there's raises, then there are jobs. Are That's how it works.
0: Let me read a few out. Um, the yeah. first from Boardroom Labs: They're looking for a software engineer over DAO governance. Manticore Games: A manager of crypto marketing. That's on technical. Bankless. We're looking for threadors. You can write a good Twitter, Twitter, Twitter thread. You're uh, be Vertex on Twitter Protocol. All day. Yeah, like as as we are, but apparently <laughs> we don't have time to write enough threads. <laughs> Vertex uh, Protocol: A marketing coordinator.
1: That's not technical.
0: Uh, Bankless, we're looking for a UX UI designer. Bankless, yep. also, we need a senior newsletter uh, engineer. Best job st- in crypto. Streams, a financial analyst. Stakefish, smart contract software engineer. Also, a back end software engineer. Also, a blockchain marketer. Non technical. Also, a DevOps engineer. And the Bankless Academy is hiring a product manager. There's a ton more jobs here. You can go find them at the Bankless oh, Academy. Wait, 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 wait.
1: There's a head of marketing at PleaserDAO. I just want to shout that one out. Uh, oh. Also, got to be a very, very cool job. One hundred dollars to $200,000. Salary, head of marketing at Pleaser Dow. Come join the Dow. Uh,
0: a Willy Wonka, fa- P- Pleaser Dow is the People's Louvre and the Louvre, 21st yeah. century, and a Willy Wonka, Willy Wonka factory combined.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> very attractive. Only in crypto. Only in crypto. <laughs> All
0: right. When we get back, some questions from the Bankless Nation. What's the safest token to dollar cost average into over the next 12 months? Also, the best advice for actually getting a job in crypto some hot takes from crypto, Twitter, as usual. We'll get right to those things, but first we want to tell you about the sponsors that made this episode possible.
1: There is a brand new staking feature in the Ledger Live app today. We all like staking the assets that we're bullish on, and now you can stake seven different coins inside the Ledger Live app. Cosmos, Polkadot, Tron, Algorand, Tezos, Solana, and of course, Ethereum. With Ledger Live, you can take money from your bank account, buy your most bullish crypto asset, and stake that asset to its network all inside the Ledger Live app. Through a partnership with Figment, Ledger also lets you choose which validator you want to stake your assets with. And Ledger is running its own validating nodes, offering a convenient way to participate in network validation, and it even comes with slashing insurance. Ledger Live is truly becoming the battle station for the bankless world, so go download Ledger your life. If you have a ledger already, you probably already have it and get started securely staking your crypto assets. The Brave Browser is the user-first browser for the Web3 internet, with over 60 million monthly active users. And inside the Brave Browser, you'll find the Brave Wallet, the secure multi-chain crypto wallet built right into the browser. Web3 is freedom from big tech and Wall Street, more control and better privacy, but there's a weak point in Web3, your crypto wallet. And most crypto wallets are browser extensions, which can easily be spoofed. But the Brave Wallet is different. No extensions are required, which gives Brave Browser an extra level of security versus other wallets. Brave Wallet is your secure passport for the possibilities of Web3 and supports multiple chains, including Ethereum and Solana. You can even buy crypto directly inside the wallet with RAMP. And of course, you can store, send and swap your crypto assets, manage your NFTs and connect to other wallets and DeFi apps. So whether you're new to crypto or you're a seasoned pro, it's time to ditch those risky extensions and it's time to switch to the Brave wallet. Download Brave at brave.com bankless and click the wallet icon to get started. All
0: right, guys, we are back. And just a reminder, if you have a question for Dave and myself to read out on the roll up, make sure you follow Bankless HQ on Twitter. Every Wednesday, a out and ask for those questions. Here's the first question from mag80.eth. If you had to monthly dollar cost average into one asset for the next 12 months, what would it be? Except ETH. I'm thinking RPL, that's the Rockpool token, and Uni. Of course, got to say, none of this is financial advice. He's asking David's personal opinion from an entertainment perspective, Entertain- myself. entertaining but- answer. <laughs> I want, yes, I want the real answer, but also it's fine if it's entertaining, David. I actually genuinely
1: want to know, what would you buy besides ETH right now? I I, I think Madge is onto something with with Uni. Uh, I think that is, if we're not talking about Ether and we're not counting staked Ether, which I'm assuming we're not, uh, then the Uni token definitely comes next. And the reason why it's, I feel like, very arguably the safest is because it's generating the most fees. And so that, I feel like, is a great definition of safety. Like right now, uh, Uniswap generated one point million million today in 24-hour fees. Uh, and there's already discussions on the Uniswap governance uh, uh, forum about turning on the fee switch. So like we're getting there. And so if we're going to define like, what is the best asset for the next 12 months to buy, it's the one with fees. The ones that come after that, like Ave, uh, GMX, also surprisingly up there. Um, uh, and so, like you know, tokens with fees are bullish. Uh, and so, there's probably some analysis to be done about like how much fees is the protocol generating w- compared to how big that market cap is. With a with a controlling function of how much revenue, how much uh, percentage can that protocol capture as a result of those fees? Some analysis to be done there. Um, Rocket Pool, great token because of the, the merge trade, uh, but there, is the merge trade going to last for twelve months? I'm not sure, but Uniswap fees will definitely last for twelve months.
0: Yeah, I, I I kind of agree. So it's like I'm going to ignore Bitcoin because I actually think I would still prioritize. Mm -hmm. DeFi tokens right now over bitcoin and maybe that's for the first time ever i would have generally my answer is ethan bitcoin those are the assets to dollar cost average into but if like you're gonna ask my personal opinion it would probably be some of those blue chip DeFi assets Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. i like uni and ave know they're going to be around very strong although i also like a lot of the strong layer two projects that have tokens right now i feel like that's a decent bet uh, and I would pick those over the alternative layer one bet, even though like oh, yeah. Salon is going to survive. Uh, obviously, Cosmos, the, they're all going to survive. But I still feel like layer two is being underappreciated. So you got Matic token, you got OP, right. some of those things as well. I would consider dollar cost averaging into some of those as well. But, yeah. you know, this isn't necessarily the question that's like, what's the um, the token, the asset that you're going to make the most money on over the next right. 12 months? This is more the one that you're going to kind of buy more. and hold. Yeah, risk from a risk reward perspective. Um, yeah. good question. I do
1: think that they even so like RPL and like Lido and Stakewise are all benefiting from uh, like the merge trade. Yeah. I think general defi tokens that like Uniswap and Synthetics are also going to benefit from just like the beta of the merge, so like ether goes up, staking as a service tokens goes up, but then Ethereum apps are also going to go up. Just so it's, it's gonna be like an Ethereum rotation. So I think the, the beta is in heavily favor of, of the Ethereum ecosystem at the moment. Yeah, I would
0: say that too. And I, I do like some of those staking tokens as well. I'd start to classify yeah. them as close to blue chip. Um, yeah. All right, here's another question, David, from Patrick Dudley. What advice would you give a college student looking to get a job in crypto after they graduate? I'm going to my senior year at SDSU and really want to pursue a career in crypto.
1: Yeah, definitely the unequivocally best advice for getting a job in crypto. If you want to get a job, the formula is as simple as this. Write really good threads on Twitter. Like, <laughs> people are doing this. If you want to get a job at a fund, funds will like, notice you on Twitter. If you want to get a job at Bankless, we are literally hiring a tweet threader. People that can write threads and get like a thousand likes and just generate a following and capt- capture attention on Twitter, if you can do that, you will be handed a job on a, on a silver platter. Okay, so, for people who aren't on Twitter, though, like, what,
0: what does it take to actually write a thread, David? What, what does a thread mm-hmm. do on Twitter?
1: Right so it distills information down and like the the reason why Twitter is, is what it is in this crypto space is that it forces big ideas to be like condensed and collapsed and concentrated down to into a very short a single tweet, 280 characters. And so what you are doing when you are writing a tweet thread is you are learning how to communicate and explain things with extreme, extremely small packages. Uh, and so that's just good, efficient communication. So it's basically like a litmus test for can you communicate very, very well. If you can thread well, you can communicate well. If you can communicate well, that's like the meta skill. Uh, and so people are judging other people's like abilities to like do good work by their ability to write threads. Yeah, I'm going to plus
0: one that it also forces you to go digest some complicated information and yep. break it down uh, mm-hmm. atomically. So you have to really understand it if you're going to publish a mm-hmm. thread. And then, of course, because Twitter is a social network, it's basically your online resume. Right. You, you it, can tweet people LinkedIn. and be like, yeah, you get can, off you of like, LinkedIn, get onto yeah,
1: Twitter. Totally.
0: Uh, that's where that's where crypto is. That's where you're getting noticed. I've seen so many people launch their career by doing that is, yeah. um, you know, becoming threaders. Hello. And then you, you, you start to write in other areas or you get hired by a VC mm-hmm. company or, you know, whatever your, whatever your main skill set is, mm-hmm. um, that's a way to launch.
1: Both oh. me and Ryan like launched our public personas on Twitter and then we found each other on Twitter and then we started Bankless on Twitter and now we're hiring tweet threaders <laughs> for Twitter. It's yeah, <laughs> Twitter. it's like, yeah. there's just such serendipity to it. Um, you got to yeah. be part of it. You can't, yeah. you can't
0: ignore uh, Twitter right now. Um, all right, David, let's get to Hot some pips. takes. <laughs> First, from Balaji. This is, uh, I'm going to read it out from Balaji Srinivasan, actually, podcast episode coming with him on Monday. That is a do Mm. not miss episode. We talk about concepts like this, but here's what he's tweeting The realigning from red versus blue to orange versus green, Mm. decentralized network versus centralized state, internationalists and capitalists versus nationalists and socialists, the cloud versus the land, and Bitcoin versus the dollar. And he's showing that political compass square. Uh, maybe mm-hmm. you can describe this image for us, what we're seeing here, David.
1: Yeah, the political compass is on the left. You have the left. On the right, you have the right. So liberals on the left, conservatives on the right. Yeah, yeah, politically. But top to down, you have authoritarianism versus libertarianism. Uh, and so, like we've we said on Bankless, Bankless isn't a left or right movement, but it is an individual versus like uh, versus authoritarian movement. So we lean down towards like the libertarian side of things. Uh, although we do appreciate structure, uh, it's definitely like prioritizing the individual over like the state. Uh, And so what Balaji is saying is that what is previously like a red versus blue, left versus right phenomenon is slowly turning into a a, a 99% versus 1%, which he's resembling as Bitcoin versus the dollar, the dollar being the state, Bitcoin being the people. Uh, and so I, I think that makes sense, especially as we've been putting this into a context of uh, of um, uh, the end the end of a cycle of nation state power, where like the nation state is no longer concerned about like do we want to be conservative or do we want to be progressive, we are now just like all right, who's capturing all the value? Is it the individual or is it the the incumbents? Uh, and so uh, this is this is the, the, instead of left versus right, Belagji saying it's top versus down. Yeah,
0: and this goes into his idea. A book he recently come up with that we, uh, we talk about at length is a book called The Network State. And he's really mm-hmm. pinning this as it's kind of the authoritarian nation state versus the people's network state. Uh, anyway, really fascinating conversation with him. Uh, stay tuned for that on Monday. Uh, David, a tweet from Sassel. Anthony Sassana, mm-hmm. what's he saying?
1: Yeah, first he says, first layer twos won't work and are useless technology. And now it's, if layer twos get big enough, it will become its own layer one and abandon Ethereum. If this is the first time you've heard this take, it means you need to get on Twitter. Uh, uh-huh. when, and will finishes saying, when you see the goalposts move like this, it means the critics never actually knew what they were talking about in the first place.
0: Hot do you know, what also, do you know what this also means? I think I think the rotators are rotating into layer twos or they're getting mm. ready to, and that's mm. why they're seeding this as the mm. next kind of narrative. I think the mm. alt one trade is is somewhat dormant right now, somewhat over oh, yeah, for big the big time big. being. And big now big. the L2 narrative trade is on. So what do you yeah. have to do? You have to um, prop up layer twos and their value accrual mechanisms from a narrative perspective, and and put down ETH uh, in order to get that trade going. So I think they'll probably be effective. And I'm starting to see some of the rotators rotate in.
1: Of course, rotators going to rotate.
0: Always going to miss Suzu and three hours capital. The alt line <laughs> rotators. Um, not going to happen this cycle though. This is a Vitalik
1: tweet. What's he saying? Yeah. Vitalik says, call out scammers. You get hate in the moment, but time vindicates you. Even if you're some CEO with quote reputation and need for quote professionalism, do it anyways and be savage. People what? look up to you and your warning will be taken seriously. Is this Vitalik uh, so, speaking? Be savage? Yeah, this is Vitalik. Yeah. Be savage. Yeah. It's a new Vitalik. Uh, so Vitalik called out the force age people, the people that just got charged with the SEC forever ago. Uh, and so, uh, and then he got attacked probably this. I think this is a ch- Chinese community, Chinese project, maybe, I don't know. Um, uh, which is why I didn't, didn't really hear about it, but, uh, he said he, he's alluding to how he got attacked by the Forsage community probably. Uh, but now, now they're being charged with running a posse scheme. So who's laughing in the end? It's he fantastic. said this
0: about Forsage back in 2020, yes. please yes. leave and don't pollute the Ethereum ecosystem in the future. Thank you, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> very metallic thing to say. What, what do you what do you think about this? Is it incumbent on um, the community to call out scammers more yeah. often? Well, yeah. one thing I struggle with about this, David, is um, sometimes the term scammer gets overused. Right. Right. I think in this case, it was like very clearly a scammer. So maybe so maybe when something is very clearly kind of black in the black category, and there's no, there's no gray about it, that's the right. time to pile on. But it was not clear to me, for example, if we, if we start putting like Luna and Terra into that category, whether Luna and Terra was a complete scam at the time. I thought it was like a flawed mechanic and like a, like a very risky, broken thing to invest into, and I didn't think it would work long-term. All but right. I can't necessarily call that a scam. I don't think All that right. Vitalik is talking about that category of things, is he?
1: Mm, I think so. Like, it's definitely one of the things that I learned out of 2020 is that, like, my intuitions are better than I thought they were. And so, like, you know, I got into that fight with Danny Sesta from Wonderland. uh, And then, like, his army, like, descended on me and, like, made me put my tail between my legs because of, like, Twitter drama. And then and then he blew up and if I had been like had a, like a little bit more like confidence and conviction it's like yo this is not right I might be would have said something same thing with Do Kwon, just repeated it it's like got attacked by Do Kwon. It's like damn this, their army's really loud I don't really want to don't really want to like pick my head up and then boom they blow up And if I had a little bit more of just like I don't really give a fuck about you I'm gonna be proven right in the long term then I think I would have gotten more credit than, than we did even though we did like call out uh, call out terror, I think decently I think we could have done it better.
0: I, so maybe David's is going to lean into that a little bit more. I'm still probably going to veer it a bit more conservative. Like I think right. da- I think uh, Vitalik's right. right for calling out something like this. But sometimes mm-hmm. I am wrong, right? Like sometimes right. it's not like the mechanic does actually work in the, in the long run. Anyway, I think there's time for me, at least me personally, like a period of, of skepticism before I start using the S word. But sure. then there are things that are very clearly scammed. Like for example, Celsius. Some people are saying Celsius was a scam. I just didn't have enough information oh, yeah, to know scam. whether it was or not, right? Yeah. But like, yeah. it turns out it was. I don't know, stuff like well, that. There's a lot in the gray area. Was
1: is a scam? I thought Celcius Celsius just egregiously mismanaged.
0: I think that verges on scam of like Alex Mashensky calling himself a DeFi bank and then calling funds. Yeah, right, yes. Calling himself DeFi and not a banker. Yeah,
1: that makes sense. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. What take from me? I say this. It's true. People don't care about decentralization. There's a lot of talk about that yeah. this week. A lot of talk yeah. about people not caring about decentralization. And I said, it's true. People don't care about decentralization. People don't care about decentralization until they get Mount Goxed or Suzued or Do or Mashinsky'd. They don't care because they're new and haven't been screwed yet. Eventually, people care about decentralization. When I got into crypto, in the very beginning, I didn't care very much about decentralization. Yeah. You know what I didn't cared about, it. David? Uh, number go up. Number go up. Like, it was like, I cared about other things, this idea of Bitcoin, you know, um, sovereign money, but I didn't understand the intricacies of like, why decentralization matters until I started see, to see things in, in the crypto space, I you know read about the Mt. Gox, um, see kind of the centralization vectors. Uh, and I do think people start to care about it over time, but they don't start with that position as their default. They have to kind of learn it uh, sometimes by being in crypto for a period of time. Of course, as, as one does. What's my take. What's yours?
1: Uh, I think this was my take last week, but uh, here's my take. The best thing that could ever happen to crypto, a fees driven bull market, aka a sustainable and rational bull market. Is that like too much to ask? Is a rational bull market. Why is that more rational? Because if it's fees driven, it means it's revenue driven. I mean, if it's revenue driven, this is how we've been like, uh, like measuring assets since like the beginning of time. Is fundamentals. It's, it's asking assets. for a fundamentals-driven bull market. It's can we like have one of those, people. please?
0: Real people are paying for the service, yes, and it's actually yes. providing real profit. It's not based to on the speculation. Owners yes. of the asset. Yeah, yeah, that would be pretty healthy. That would feel pretty yeah. good. I would like that.
1: It, you again, think we're gonna can, get can I, it? Can I have this, please? <laughs> is, it, is, is it that crazy? David only wants one <laughs> thing for Christmas. Uh, feed-driven bull market yeah now, some people think it's cringe ryan that we read out our own tweets as takes of the week no really <laughs> yeah well, well me some people think it's great cr- whatever I, we do is
0: cringe i should i should read out your tweets and you read out my tweets is yeah, that yeah, less that's, cringe? What, that's
1: what we usually do yeah i mean, they're right. called
0: takes of the week so yeah. all right, we have takes sometimes
1: yeah
0: yeah um, we have good takes sorry for the cringe guys uh <laughs> udi i'm sorry for the cringe uh oh my david God. P- people don't
1: know that metaphor what, what are you excited about this week I'm excited for tokens, Ryan. There's a bunch of tokens that this is my uh, CoinGecko watch list. Uh, and so uh, th- these are the tokens I'm currently looking at, and there's a bunch of them that are up bigly. Stakewise up 107% in seven days. Optimism up 90%. Euler up 69%. Nice. Yearn up 51%. Again, about fees. GMX up 42%. I don't own any of that, but perhaps I should look into how much fees it's making because it's making a bunch of fees. Rocket Pool and Lido both up 32 and 37%. 30, uh, Immutable X, a layer two, up 30%. Uh, Uniswap up 10%. I just feel like. It's ETH Maxi token season right now, and it's just making it feel really good. And there's like a almost an oxymoron about ETH Maxi token season, because like if you're an ETH Maxi, then you only buy ETH. But that's not exactly true, because if you're an ETH Maxi, quote unquote, then you also must believe in the tokens in the ecosystem. <laughs> so when I see all of like these tokens that are heavily aligned with the Ethereum protocol going up, I'm like, nice. Are you going to sell
0: like how, how much of these would you sell ETH for in order to get in though? That's the harder part, right? Yeah. Like f- fiat's easy, but which of these are going to yeah. continue to go up in ETH-denominated yeah. terms? It's always hard. That's it's the hard part.
1: Yeah. I, it's always hard. I don't know.
0: Whenever I get to that point, I'm like, ah, I don't want to sell my ETH. Right,
1: right, <laughs> right, Ryan, what are you bullish on?
0: Uh, I am bullish on the Ethereum roadmap. So yeah. we obviously have, like, uh, if you zoom out, we have the merge coming up, right? That's an economic upgrade, so we get 90% issuance reduction, more security. We talked about that. Um, our discussion with Polenia, uh, around EIP 4844 this past week, made me excited about kind of the the next upgrade of Ethereum. So first we have an economic upgrade with the merge, but hopefully, fingers crossed, the hard fork after that, we'll get something like EIP 4844, which makes rollups a thousand X cheaper potentially. When you add all of the rollup compression techniques with um, EIP 4844, you get a thousand X cheaper rollups. This, mm-hmm. according to Pelennia. Um, that's big. So we got yeah, first an economic upgrade, genre. yeah, and then we got a scalability upgrade. And then David, we just had a conversation with um, Stefan from Flashbots this mm-hmm. week about MEV—that's Maximum Extractable Value—mitigations, um, and that is kicking right. in right after the merge. It's a long story, but Flashbots has a project called MEV Boost that all validators will use that also generates more returns for anyone who, who uses it as, as, as a staker. But I'm actually really excited about the MEV protection that's going to be baked into Ethereum at the protocol level as well. This is called Protocol Builder Separation PBS. And that is coming sometime after EIP 4844 in the future. All this to say, I've probably never been more excited about the Ethereum roadmap, and the reason I'm most excited is because um I feel like we finally got our shit together on it.
1: Yeah. Like from an ec- like it's actually defined, yeah. There was
0: a while where like honestly Ethereum didn't have it together. Right, from a roadmap Very long perspective. Time. I would
1: yeah. say it was 20 late 2019 was when it finally came together. Yeah.
0: We didn't have yeah. like kind of the monetary policy was like yeah. I don't know, we'll wait for proof of stake. We have that figured out with the merge. Scalability, I don't know. Plasma, state channels, what's it going to be? No, now (laughs) we have a path, roll-up centric uh, roadmap, EIP 4844, like that's within sight. Uh, How are we going to solve this MEV problem? MEV boost, PBS, like the roadmap's looking good these days. I'm pretty bullish on it.
1: Yeah, it's looking good. And it also makes like fundamental sense. Kind of like going back to what Kelvin Finchner was saying about the three theoretical... Like, maximum. Like, there are things about the Ethereum roadmap, the design philosophy, that is just like the theoretical best way to execute on an idea. Um, And I don't have enough time to go into that right now, but I'll tease an article that I think is coming out next week, which is what you're alluding to, which is about the blockchain supply chain, as in, like, how a block becomes produced on Ethereum and where the value goes in that supply chain and how it ultimately always converges down to ETH stakers. Um, And so I think we are bullish on the same thing, brother. All right, what's uh, the meme of the week this week? What are we looking at? Meme of the week, meme of the week. <laughs> we are, <laughs> this is a Top Gun poster, uh, Top Gun Maverick, but instead we got Nancy Pelosi in his F-18 zooming her way to Taiwan. <laughs> Why, <laughs> like, for people who
0: haven't been watching the news, what's the context for this?
1: <laughs> yeah, Nancy Pelosi went to Taiwan of her own accord. Interestingly, after her husband botched a bunch of calls in Taiwan semiconductor businesses, right before a bill went to Congress. <laughs> so that's a different story. But then Nancy Pelosi, of her own accord, not as a part of her job as Secretary of State or whatever she is, Speaker of the House, uh, the House. Des- decides to go to Taiwan and thoroughly pisses off China, who is now, now as a result, doing military ex- exercises in that region as well. So Nancy Pelosi just going rogue, Top Gun Maverick style, getting her, getting <laughs> herself into Taiwan and pissing off the two biggest superpowers, or one of the biggest superpowers in the world. Nice, Uh,
0: well, the 2020s geopolitical tension—that's going to be fun. Um, Uh, I feel like we need to do an episode on that in the future. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) guys, uh, as always, it's been great to have you. Of course, crypto is risky; you could lose what you put in. But we are headed west. This is the frontier. It's not for everyone, but we're glad you're with us on the Bankless journey. Thanks a lot.